Welcome to the IMDb Journey Podcast, where we break down one movie a week from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and I've got faith in us that this podcast will last the lifespan of a cockroach. And my name is Dean Jeffrey, and if I was in that situation, they wouldn't have to draft for who was the most cowardly. <laughs> <laughs> and today we'll be breaking down Stanley Kubrick's Paths of Glory. Dean, how are you, mate? It's good to see you again. Good to see you. It's been a little longer than usual. Yeah, a little bit longer. We've just had to reschedule our recording night just due to a couple of different life commitments along the way. Yes, exactly right. Life uh, life comes first, podcasting comes a distant second. Yeah, that's right. Uh, how have you been in that extra little time I haven't seen you? Because I did see you last week, regardless of the podcast. Really? Yes. Do you not remember our brief little stint at our friend's, sorry, you at were, our, sorry, at our friend's birthday? I didn't remember because you were wearing a bright uh, blonde wig. Well, I well, how can how can you say that? You were wearing a bright red wig, and I recognised yeah, you. I, I pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you pulled it off, and everyone told you to take it off. And they loved it. I took it off once, and they made me put it back on. For everyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, we actually had our friend Jared's birthday last Saturday night, and it was a 70s themed dress up. So, being the super cool people we are, we rocked up in regular clothes, <laughs> and they said, "Nope, no go. Put these wigs on." So yeah. we both had a turn on a blonde and a red wig, and. Yeah, fair to say we were the talk of the town that night. Yeah. <laughs> we both had a turn on the blonde. <laughs> <laughs> what else have you been up to this week, mate? Uh, it was actually my last week this week at uh, the current store I manage, so I've been moved. Today was my, actually my last day. Okay. And on Monday, I'll be at a different location, which I'm really excited about. So Lots of tears on the way out. Oh, so many hugs and, like, you don't realise how much, like, you don't realise how well-liked you are until you're going. And then everyone's like, oh, my God, no. And yeah, I, I was, I was just, like, surprised. Like, I've been there about six months and, like, I've really enjoyed it. But the um, reaction I got from the st- my staff there was, was really good. So, how's your couple of weeks been? Oh, it was actually pretty good. Speaking of, like, work-related things, I had my store manager uh, strategy day yesterday. We went up to a, one of the golf courses around the area and we had, you know, lunch and a big conference about did how we... Did you play golf? No, we didn't play golf, unfortunately. We had a, you know, big talk about how we did last year and where we're going this year and our, and our focuses and, and all that good stuff. But we, we did a couple of team-building activities. Uh, I hate this stuff. No, this stuff was good. They hired some people out and we got, we got to do clay shooting with like laser it was like full it was old shotguns that they uh, reconfigured to be lasers that you would shoot like metal clay targets at on this tennis court and like i was in this group they were terrible i was the only person that got points for my team i shot like a like shot a whole bunch of targets while these people like click 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 missed everything every time they went up didn't score for our team at all it was embarrassing for them. Gee, I wouldn't have picked you as the uh, physical powerhouse of your team. That's why it was such a happy day. <laughs> we all, no, there was actually, besides that, we also did like a real-life foosball where we were playing soccer in this inflatable field, but we were tethered to lines along mm. the course. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so I was I was in the, 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 the part just before the goalie. I was the attacker, yeah. and there was me and another bloke that I knew quite well, and the problem was... We were tethered together, so I couldn't run one way and he could go the other. Like, we yeah. had to be together, and it was really hard to not only attack the ball, but to keep together. Mm. Like, I would, I would be looking I at something- I bet that taught you some really great teamwork well, we skills. Well, we kicked a whole bunch of goals, so I reckon it, it did. Well done. We well also, done. get this, right? The what? other game- what? The other game we had to do was we had to do Segway races. I was on Segways, like, going in and out of these courses. It was amazing. I'd never been on a Segway before. What's a Segway? 
a Segway is like the the, the the dual wheels where you stand on the platform and the and the wherever you balance on the platform is how you go. Like you lean forward and it moves forward. Oh, is that what they're called? Segways? Yeah. These ones had like handles that come up, so oh, you got a bit more steady balance. ones, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, I didn't pick them. They were just there. <laughs> I bet there was a whole bunch without the poles to hold on to, and you're like, uh, excuse me, can I can I please have one with a pole? No, you're wrong. I got the one with the training wheels as well. <laughs> yeah, but that was really good, actually. I actually took my first IKEA trip the other week. Ooh, how was it? It was weird. Like, I didn't... We went into the showroom there. Yeah, I've and never it's been. Like, it's like... Houses like you go in there and there's there's setups where it's like a full on house kitchen laundry bathroom everything it felt really weird like I'd walk into one mm. and it just felt like I was in a, an actual different house and I got like lost a lot of times like of what I was doing yeah it's really interesting my missus loves it I just can't be bothered with it nah I reckon when you go out there and just go into the showroom and have a walk around and just check them out because it's really fascinating very good let's get to it. All right, be sure to stick around after the breakdown, guys, where we'll be doing another movie quiz. We will see the results from last week's draft on movies with the best female villains, and we'll be doing this week's draft, which we've decided to just be best 50s films. We couldn't really think of something that tied into Paz of Glory too well, so we figured we'd just do the best 50 films. Let's keep it broad on this one. We might get a couple of good movies in there. Let's hope so. Yeah. And as well as all that, we'll be talking about what else we've been watching last week or so, including the latest Star Wars film, Solo. A Star Wars story. Exactly. For anyone unsure. As always, if you're new to the podcast, first of all, welcome. Glad to have you on this journey with us. Please make sure you subscribe to us so you get instant notifications of when new episodes are up. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, and most other podcast apps, as well as our host site, Spreaker. So thank you to them. And to all listeners new and old out there, we'd love for you to spread the word about the podcast. Maybe go ahead and chat with your other movie-loving friends. Perhaps drop in the middle of a conversation of this podcast. We'll take your spot in front of a firing squad for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's one of your better ones. Yeah, I'll give thank you, you that. Thank you. Maybe you'd be so kind as to leave a five-star rating or review on iTunes for us to help us move up the charts for even more people to notice us. We've actually got 10 reviews this week. We've... People are getting right into the reviews, I think, for this competition, which actually puts us up to 40 reviews. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so we'll be there in no time. I reckon one or two more, and we'll have this competition going. Awesome. Okay, we'll get started with Chris from the Casual Cinecast. Can't wait to watch the IMDb movies with these fun and energetic guys. Also from the Casual Cinecast, Mike says, What a fun idea for a podcast. They give you some great conversation of some of the best movies ever made. These guys have great chemistry and fun back and forth. For a movie buff, it's really about as good as it gets. Lots of engaging segments as well. Yeah, thank you very much for that, guys. We've also got one here from Carly from the What Are You Worried About podcast. I dig this podcast so much. Daniel and Dean have great chemistry, which makes it super compelling to listen to them talk about all these wonderful movies. They're really thorough and insightful in their discussions and interpretations of the films. I specifically like the Vertigo episode. It's one of my favorite films, and I loved when they incorporate audio from their actual film into their convo. Super funny to hear Jimmy Stewart pop up with, How's your love life, Midge? <laughs> Classic Midge. <laughs> Keep it up, dudes. Uh, quick one from Delvin Cox. Great fun podcast talking about films old and new. The hosts are delightful. Also one here from the Work Life and Balance podcast. These guys are taking the movie review podcast genre and doing it right. They have fantastic banter, are very charming, and do a very detailed analysis of their material while keeping it light. I am a new listener, but I'm absolutely going to continue listening. Don't miss this one. Thank you very much. And from the Filmmakers podcast, 
Classic and very funny podcast chatting about movies in the top 250 on IMDb. Hosted by two lovable lads. Thank you for that. <laughs> a joy from start to finish. They go deep into a film or two on each episode, giving us facts and figures, trivia and insights. Subscribe and get listening. Couldn't agree with you more. Thank you for that one too. Also got one here from Melissa from the Brook Reading Podcast. She says, I love Daniel and Dean. They make me laugh, cry. Not kidding. I've cried listening to their show. And think anew about these films. They speak with such knowledge and reverence of these films. I never miss an episode. Thank you very much for that, Melissa. From the Herfcast, fun reviews on a wide variety of movies. Also from Kelvin from the Go Watch a Movie podcast. Love this show. The boys are so entertaining to listen to and a great concept. And finally, from Flix X Raid podcast. What a great format for discussion about film. I really like the way they walk through the film from start to end, adding their commentary about all parts. I also really enjoy the trivia competition at the end of the episode, as well as the draft that gives the audience a chance to participate. It's exactly what we want. Thanks so much exactly. for that review. Thank you, Flix X-Ray Podcast, and to everyone who's put a review in so far. And I just want to give a shout-out to the Epic Film guys for their... Fantastic work they did on their live stream for The Cure a couple of weeks ago. Managing to achieve their $5,000 goal. I mean, it's fantastic work they put in there. And great for everyone, cause. Yeah, great cause as well. And for everyone who was on that live stream as well throughout the 30 hours that they went, it was amazing. And I salute every very, single one yeah, of you. Very impressive work there. Well done, guys. Yeah. And if you want to interact with us throughout the week too, we're on Twitter at IMDB Journey. I respond to everything sent our way. And it's a great way to keep up to date with us as we regularly tweet what else we've been watching throughout the week. So you too can leave your thoughts there and we'll read them out on the podcast as well. Give me the update. All right. So since we're, what is it? The 1st of June. This must be time for an IMDb update. All right. Let's have a look at this. What have we got? Well, we did say last time that Infinity War was into the IMDb. Top 250. And it's now out. (laughs) (laughs) No, not that quickly. It's gone down, of course, from number 12 to number 19. Okay. Yeah. Do you reckon it'll stay? Oh, I've... Definitely think it's going to stay in the list. Oh, okay. Well, it's, not good. it's been a month. It's gone from 12 to 19. It'll probably end up somewhere in like 80, 80 to 100, I reckon. That's probably where it'll drop to. Fair enough. Also, we've had a little swap here in the top 50 with the Green Mile swapping with Interstellar. So, we've got Green Mile now at 31 and Interstellar at 32. Not really much has changed in the middle here, but we have had a pretty decent drop here from Blade Runner 2049. has gone down from 187 to 200. So let's keep an eye on that one. And that's about it in terms of swapping and moving down. But we have had a couple of inclusions and a couple of deletions along the way here. And we have a new... Declusions. Declusions, that's the word. Is it? I just made that up. Well, it makes sense. Sounds fun. (laughs) A new movie has made its debut into this list at number 218. And that is Deadpool 2 into the list. What number? 218. Yeah. Enjoy it while it lasts. (laughs) As well as coming into the list is Guardians of the Galaxy... Curse of the Black Pearl is back in, and Akira is also back in. And out of the list now is the ones we always talk about. Dog Day Afternoon. Yep, Dog Day Afternoon, <laughs> Fanny and Alexander, Beauty and the Beast, and your favourite, Gangs, Gangs of Wasawa. <laughs> Gangs of Wasawa, yes, of course. So that's going to do it for this month's review of the Top 250. Okay, we're about to get into our uh, breakdown of Parts of Glory. As always, it will be full-on spoilers from the jump. So if you haven't seen it, go and watch it and come back and uh, listen to us, or... If you don't care about spoilers, go right ahead. But yeah, we if will you just, be spoiling it from the get-go. If you just want to listen to our lovely voices regardless of the movie, I mean, I understand completely, go ahead and listen to it. Or if you still want to hear our voices but you don't want to get spoiled on the film, check the show notes for after the breakdown and you continue on from there. So we're going to head into a break now and a promo from the Casual Cinecast and we'll be back on the other side with Paths of Glory. Hello. Do you like having your podcast interrupted by promos? 
Probably not. So we'll keep this brief. My name is Chris. My name is Mike. And my name is Justin. And we just wanted to introduce ourselves. We're the Casual Cinecast. We're a weekly podcast that reviews current movies and TV, as well as the occasional dive into classic cinema with the Criterion Collection. We cover everything from Black Panther to Black Narcissus. From Solo to Sallow. From Love, Simon to Simon of the Desert. If that sounds good to you, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We'll see you there. You know, or, or something, because we probably won't actually yeah. see you. But Yeah, we don't see them when they listen. Right, well, okay. Um, well, back to your podcast. Colonel, your regiment is going to take the anthill tomorrow. It's the key to the whole German position in this sector. More than half my men will be killed. Yes, it's a terrible price to pay, Colonel. But we will have the anthill. So, Paz of Glory, released in 1957, starring Kirk Douglas, Ralph Mika, Adolph Menju, and George McCready. I think I did it right there. Not bad. <laughs> Not, bad. Not bad. Directed by Stanley Kubrick. We're going to be saying that name a lot along this way here. This review or this journey? Both. Kubrick. Kubrick. Get used to it. So, this film, it was shot for under $1 million, and 300000 of that went to Kirk Douglas' salary. <laughs> well, in fairness... It probably couldn't have got made without him. Yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, point. He's a massive name at that time. Like, really, he probably still is. Um, a revered Hollywood sort of legend. And once he puts his name to something with a, a young director, Kubrick was only, was he 29, I think, at this stage? Mm-hmm, um, obviously, that gets the producers sort of turning heads and willing to put down some money because they know that cinema goers will go out and see a movie just because Kirk Douglas is Well, there. Kubrick actually approached Kirk Douglas with the script for this film, mm. and Kirk Douglas instantly fell in love with it. And he told Stanley Kubrick, Stanley, I don't think this picture will ever make a nickel, but we have to make it. Yeah. And, of course, it turned out to be true, as this film was not a success at the box office. No, it wasn't. And it's not hard to see why, to be honest. It's, it's not for everyone. No. I mean, this is around the time where colour is actually starting to become the norm at this point. And having another black and white war film, yeah, I imagine that it's not very appealing to the mass. Yeah, and like, I'm sure there's a lot of war films, and it's so hard to, you know, make yourself distinguish and stand out from the rest. So I, I think a lot of people would have just thought this was just like any other movie without actually having made the effort to go and see it, which is a shame because it really is something different. Yeah. I actually believe there was a, um, a bit of a tiff here between Kubrick and Douglas along the way, where Douglas had a lot of a lot of pull power being... He was some sort of a producer as well on this, as he went I think along. he was some sort yeah. of a producer, and I think that when we look at, you know, what happened after this, like, Kubrick worked with Douglas again in Spartacus. Yeah. And apparently their tiff got worse. Yeah, and that was the last time and, they'll be working yeah, together. And, th- and that was it for their relationship, which, yeah. you know, fair enough. You know, Kubrick doesn't have a... a you know, a group of actors like, say, a Tarantino or a Nolan that he carries through each movie. Like, his movies are all so incredibly different and he gets a new cast every time, so... Yeah, it turns out Kirk Douglas went from a producer to a conducer. Should have left it. Should have left it a producer. <laughs> hey, you make yourself laugh. Hey. You feel better about yourself. <laughs> Is that why you're always laughing? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and with an average of 8.4 over 145 ratings, it's currently sitting at number 145 ratings. Did I say that? You did say that. That's why I brought it up. That's that's not a lot of ratings. Still, <laughs> maybe we should put one in. It'll be 146 or seven. I never even said what number it was. 
What number is it? Hold on, you got off topic there. What what actual number is it on the on the uh, IMDb Journey Top Two Hundred and Fifty? IMDb Journey Top Two Hundred and Fifty. Is oh. it different? One day they will rebrand after the massive success of this podcast. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's actually number 100 and... Why did I say that? It's actually number 59 on the list. 59? It's really high. <laughs> it's super high. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Is, it is very high. There are some films when I look at this list and I do give a big question mark like, really? Mm. And Yeah, I think Forrest Gump's in the top 20. And rightfully so, I might add. Thank you. <laughs> End of conversation there. Yeah, yeah. I believe it's your turn for the plot summary this week. What yeah, do you got for and us? And what a fantastic plot summary I got here. After refusing to attack an Did enemy position, a general accuses the, the soldiers of cowardice and their commanding officer must defend them. The end. I'm really? sorry, sorry if you guys didn't hear that with really? Dean mumbling over me. Let me re- let That's me rephrase that. That's the shortest that. synopsis you've ever done. Well, it's a sh- is it the shortest movie we've done? Does it does it beat City Lights or is it the same? I'm sure it beats it by a minute, actually. I think this goes for sure. Okay. It's yeah. not like you. No, I'm definitely maybe positive <laughs> that it's 88 minutes. <laughs> I'm definitely maybe positive that I'll probably sit on the fence with this one, <laughs> but I'm sure it's a one minute shorter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get into it. So, of course, we start off with the title screen here and this music playing. Very, very military music to start off. Uh, get you, you right into the theme you, of it. Do you know why they would have done that, though? Because it's a military war film. Oh, I didn't think of that, Endo. Well done. Yeah, no. Nah, did you watch the right film? I did. <laughs> I did. What did you think it was going to be? Some romantic music that came on? Yeah, the way you said way it. Way to was steer like, us out the of the way you said it was like, oh there. wow, we get military music. Like, oh really? Well, you it think? Could, could have just been some gentle tunes. Who knows? Kubrick has a way of throwing us off sometimes. Yes, he does, and we will get to that in many, many of his other movies. That's right. But we're going to go with this one first. Okay. Then we get this uh, exposition that comes up in an audio form. Do you prefer the audio version of exposition or the like the writing on the screen? No, I actually found it um, maybe a little harder to follow the audio, whereas if I'm reading it, I feel like I take it in a lot better. Yeah. I Honestly, I actually wound back and listened to it again. Oh, did you? I, I don't think I would have if it was written. I probably would have paused it, like, in all fairness. I don't know. I just, It was weird and it felt out of place. What do you think of it? Yeah, I agree with you. Like, I, I didn't go back and listen to it again because I picked it up because I'm, you know, a bit more... Um, Full of yourself? No, I was going to say a bit more susceptible to taking more information in. Ah, oh, so bit, the same thing. A bit more focused. But now, why don't you just go put the subtitles on then? You talk about wanting the writing on the screen, just like the subtitles on. Yeah, it's effort. <laughs> as no, much no, effort as rewinding? No, like, rewinding. It's a click. <laughs> uh, anyway, so basically the opening monologue, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. It sets up that we're, you know, we're in France, it's 1916, but the France and Germany have been at war for two years. Two years of battle in the trenches, it says. And I love this line here. Successful attacks were measured in hundreds of yards and paid for in lives by hundreds of thousands. And I really like this quote a lot, actually. Like, I think it really shows immediately the lack of value that lives had at that point. Like, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of lives for you know, yards, for hundreds of yards. And when it puts that, like, it's just so blunt and brutal and it sets you up for the whole tone of the film. Oh, the, the, yeah, the tone of this film and just how insignificant all these people are to these generals and these higher-ups. They do not care about any no, of them. Like, yeah, it's barbaric. It's disgusting, like, how they treat their soldiers. It, honestly, like, you, want, you look at some of these characters in here and just, like, for example, coming up with this uh, discussion on the anthill with... Um, they're, they're last names, Moreau and Brulard. 
I'm seriously, I've got George and Paul throughout. I'm going to call them George and Paul. <sighs> you I, can't even pronounce them. They don't call them, hey, how are you, General George? In the first scene, it's, hi, George. Hi, Paul. Is that seriously what you've got? Because I've got General Brullard and, like, Major Moreau. <laughs> They're both generals. Is it? No, one's higher than the other. Yeah, it's General Major and General. General Ma- General and Major General? Yeah, General and Major General. MG. The MG Moreau. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> um, we're getting way off topic with yeah. this one. Talking about their discussion with the anthill, what was I saying about how Moreau says to Brulard about how he tells him about how you're going to try and take the anthill? And he's like, there's no way I'm going to do that. I'm going to lose all my men. He goes, but there's, you know, a little promotion coming. He's like, ooh, ooh, maybe I can do it. Just immediately like that, the thought of a promotion, the thought of moving up, and he just has zero thought for any of his men. He knows he's taking them to certain death. See, you say this, like, I saw this first-time viewing, okay? Hmm. You've seen this before. You okay. know where this movie's going. Let me let me say how I how I took it as a first-time watcher, okay? Yeah, go for it. That's what we're here for. So, the notes I wrote down on first viewing are actually really interesting once I've finished the movie and seen where these characters have gone. Mm-hmm. So, what I actually thought of it on first viewing is that when Brullard came to Moreau with this proposition, Moreau is... I've thought he was legitimately weighing up his ambition and reputation against the lives of his 8,000 men and not in a way that's, you know, he's considering, he's considering like sacrificing these people. I thought that basically he was being told by Brullard that he had to do it and he was really, really uncomfortable with it. Mm. And what I actually got from it was I thought that it showed us that Moreau, believe it or not, is a thoughtful and sympathetic general. He puts his men first. He, Moreau paces around the room. He's always moving. It's show, showing us his unrest and his uncomfortable manner with the situation at hand. Whilst he says to Brouillard that he hasn't persuaded him with the offer of stars in the French army, it is clear now, I think, that he is more trying to convince himself of this rather than Brouillard. Yeah. So, after this, I actually I, I put down, like, Moreau may be not such a solid and good character. He says he values just one man's life above a star, but I'm not too sure at this stage. No. Okay, so, it's interesting because you, you took it, like, straight away. Oh, he's willing to... I, I didn't get that at all. I got it. And I can understand was, that as a first viewer. Yeah, like, I, I actually thought this guy was going to be a good guy. Yeah. And this other guy was maybe the, the uncaring, really higher-up guy, but... Like, in retrospect, obviously, they're both terrible, yeah. terrible humans. Yeah. And probably especially Moreau, because he's more vicious about it, Oof. whereas Brulard is, is a lot calmer about it. Obviously, he's in a different um, ranking He's not position. taking any heat in yeah, at he, all. Yeah, he takes no heat on any of it. But I just, I found it so interesting that I actually took away that he was a good guy here. Yeah, like and his first part. When, when do you, when was it? The time when you changed your mind on that? I think once we met Colonel Dax... Yeah. ...and we actually met the good guy of the story... Yeah. ...it sort of made it more obvious that, hold on, Moreau is not the good guy. Yeah. <laughs> Moreau is going to be um, a bit like a nemesis to Dax, where Dax is going to be sort of the heart and soul of his men who is trying to save lives, and Moreau, pretty quickly, you see, does not care about it. But just just quickly on the anthill... The anthill was actually called the pimple in the original novel, but was changed as they felt pimple was too comedic of a word. Yeah. Well, isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the anthill, this this anthill that 
gets talked about this whole time but never gets shown or anything like that. We we never actually find out exactly what this anthill is or what it means to the war effort. And I feel like this is a really smart move because in the end, no one seems to be focused on taking the anthill because it's going to help them win the war. Everyone's just doing it for all their ulterior motives. It's perception. It's yeah. all about perception in the media. Like the real significance of it is actually lost in everyone's pettiness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you go, you're talking about how they're walking around the room and discussing this. Did you uh, notice offer. that? They were like very, very uh, physical. I do have a movement. couple of things to talk about that. Yeah, go. But first off, have you ever had that kind of conversation where you're talking and you're just casually walking around the room in a circle? Does anyone actually do that? I can't remember myself actually ever doing that. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think, and especially they're sitting down at one point. They mm. get up, they walk around, they sit down again, they get up. I've never done that, no. I think that this is actually uh, meticulously done by Kubrick. You know, Kubrick is, he he's very, he's very precise in everything he does. Extremely precise. And I feel like he did this for a reason. And what you can see is the camera follows them around as they talk about this promotion. But as soon as he accepts the assignment, the camera stops and refuses to follow him anymore. It's basically like Kubrick's stance on, uh, he, like his point of view on the like wall. Like maybe we're with him. Right? Yeah, we We've disagree ca- with while this. While he moves, we as an audience move with the camera. But once like he makes this terrible decision, the camera's like, no, nah, I'm stopping. I'm not, yeah. I'm not following you here. It's like they're walking further and further away from morality, mm. I guess. And I think that was obviously perfectly timed. Clever. Yeah. And this is one of the small little things that Kubrick does. Mm. But it's funny because Moreau starts the scene by saying it's impossible and ends the conversation with... Yeah. And that's all in the span of, what, five minutes? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, honestly, it's a great scene. Yeah. It is a great scene. It really does set up well what's happening. I do like the little shot they have where he's walking through the trenches and he's he's interacting with the soldiers. Nice. It's a big long take for a little while there. So uh, we we do actually see one of the soldiers that ends up in the um, the firing squad. Yeah. Just briefly here, which I forgot about. I, I didn't realize it was one of them until he came back later on in the movie. But you were saying before how you started to think he was kind of a bad dude when he meets uh, Colonel Dax. Yeah. But you can kind of see it here as well, where he just gives this guy the. What the worst slap I've ever seen in my life as well. You see, it was like a, it wasn't like a bent arm ready to smack him. He came at him with like a full st- stiff arm and just like cracked him on the like the neck. Yeah. So like, all right, you couldn't get too invested in that one, but you could tell here. Can I just cut you off there? Yeah, go ahead. I just again we're talking about how me as a first time viewer is perceiving Moreau. I've like I've got uh, you see him. He sees a soldier. And he says, hello there, soldier, ready to kill more Germans. And Moreau's walking through the trenches and he starts this conversation with the soldier. He talks about how he thinks, oh, I bet your mum would be proud. And I feel like that when you see this, you're sort of thinking, oh, he's a nice man here. He's walking through the trenches. He's trying to pump these people up. He's seemingly taking a genuine interest in this soldier. But then we get to the next soldier. And the next, and each time he opens with the same thing. Yeah. Hello there, soldier. Ready to kill more Germans? And I feel like saying it word for word, the same thing, it takes away every bit of sincerity to it. He doesn't care. He's just reciting a script almost. He walks through happily, saluting everyone. Bombs going off very close to him. But he's paying no attention to him, to it. The bombs. It's just, it's like he doesn't care. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's... I think that shows how common it is where they are, that how dangerous it is with the bombs. But you see with this guy he slaps in the end and how he can't 
tolerate cowardice, I guess. You see throughout the film here about how Moreau can't tolerate cowardice in his men under like any circumstance because he believes he's a great soldier, especially because he visits the front line like this. Like mm. you said, he th- you know he's coming down, giving a morale boost. He thinks he's 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 fantastic, but it, it's one thing to visit the the trenches, and it's another thing to actually fight. He tells us along the way he's fought bravely in the past, but who knows if that's true or not? This guy, he, he's his hypocrisy and like insensitivity only grows as the film goes on. So how are we supposed to believe anything he says that he's such this great soldier and he's been out there doing it? Yeah, no, it's a fair point. Yeah. You really can't take anything he's saying at face value. You've no. got to question it all. Yeah. But just back to this man that he's slapped, like, what do you think about his decision to, upon seeing that he's a bit scared, to get super aggressive and send him away? Well, he's not going to, like what we said about the Ben-Hur, he's not going to whip out some honey and uh, get, treat him nicely. He's going to whip out the vinegar. He's going to get the whip going. It's like like exactly what you said. You like, Don't pain, mention Ben-Hur. <laughs> pain is a good motivator. Yeah. And I'm actually starting to come around on that. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. I actually, I actually understand the move. And whilst it does seem sudden, I do think that the morale of the men is so important. And you can't afford to have some soldiers acting scared because it does affect everyone. It yeah, is, like if they're it out in the poisonous. field and they're relying on them to do something exactly. and they bitch out, they, they, their lives are in danger. Yeah, like his method may not have been great and he obviously jumps to that step very quickly, but I kind of don't hate him for that move. I do think it's interesting that he uses a lot of the same techniques to convince Dax as Brulard did to convince him, like, for this promotion, how he, like, how Dax is like, oh, I don't want to really be part of this. He, he uses the same mannerisms and the same speak to get him to stick around. Okay, yeah, no, I, d- I actually, I didn't pick up on that. So, uh, that's a good get from you. Well, thank you, Dean. Yeah, no worries. That's all I was looking for. So, we, fin- we finally actually officially meet Kirk Douglas's Colonel Dax. And we get this little line, which I did jot down, because I thought it was odd that they put it in. But we get this line about how... Colonel Dax was the foremost criminal lawyer in all of France before the war. And I thought, what a random little tidbit of information <laughs> Not there. so random until you see it later. And then I'm like, oh, when, it, when I realised that, ah, oh, okay, this is turning into a, you know, this courtroom scene here, I was like, okay, that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did enjoy this first meeting between Moreau and Colonel Dax. Obviously, Dax is not happy and Moreau threatens to remove him from his post, like threatens to fire him basically. Yeah. And God knows if that's just a firing as well. Like there's probably some huge court martial yeah. that's going to follow well, on. Of course from that. it is. This guy throws court martials yeah. like it's, you know. Yeah. But the way the Moray Moreau. What? I didn't ever know that the guy throws, he throws court martials like it's. You <laughs> <laughs> just got in, I'm like, save! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I just I wasn't even listening to you. <laughs> I really do. That's um, true. Okay, the way the general is going over the percentages of lives lost here is I really like this this way it sort of builds up because we start at oh five percent. You know, initially we'll lose five percent, and I'm like, okay, like I guess that's high when you're talking about human lives, but five percent's not that much. And then uh, oh, and then once we climb over and start going through, then probably over fifty percent of the men are going to be dead. Mm. And he just he slowly builds up, like five, ten, whatever, up to over fifty percent of the men will be dead. He doesn't care. No, like there is like, and you think about how he was, uh, he was, he did seem to me torn in that first scene. Now he's saying half your men are going to die, like it's nothing. It just has no value, as we've said before, for human life. Yeah. 
And it, I just think at this point, I've, I'm full on quite the 180 from the man we saw in the first scene here. Yeah, it doesn't take long. No, right? it's it's very much after this. You're like, okay, this and it's guy's good a that they have shit. that change because it needs you need to see how much like greed and power can just quickly take over you. Like the, yeah. just the mention of a promotion and oh, like he's he's changed his mind immediately. See, mm. if he came into this movie with Moreau automatically like this. They wouldn't, I don't think it would be as good because you'd just be like, well, this guy was just an asshole the whole time. Yeah. But just to get that different characteristics from him makes it for a much better film. Yeah, a much more layered and realistic uh, person and character. Exactly. Exactly what you'd expect from a Kubrick film. Of course. Nothing half-assed. So what did you think about this uh, scene of the troops heading out to, on surveillance, the lieutenant and the two other men? Yeah, I, I really liked it. I think, obviously, we'd had so much, so much chit-chat um, maybe chit chat's not the right word. So much discussion beforehand about politics of war and the missions and stuff to finally get. All right, here are some guys going out in the trenches. I was, it was welcome for me. I, I will say it was a welcome sight. I think it looks really good in like in the black and white, especially because it's at night time. I think it, the way it was shot worked really, really well. It is a little bit nerve wracking as well. He you're like you're very unsure what's going to happen. Like it's very quiet. I was expecting someone to just. Step like crawl over a landmine or something, and just that's it. That's the end of him. Yeah. One thing I noticed here is even though we're we're finally into some more more of the traditional action sort of stuff, you expect in a war film, the pacing is incredibly slow here, and not in a negative way. It's just more that Kubrick really has taken his time to set everything up. Even even when we're first introduced to the leader of the mission, we know straight away from the two other guys that this is a man who is not respected. It's someone who drinks. And they, they kind of resent him a bit. Yeah. And as they're slowly crawling around, they go up and down the trenches under the the barbed wire. <laughs> like the, they finally they finally park, and you know, obviously one gets sent out, and he's the leader. Almost straight away is here's a sound, and oh, I'm, he wants to go. Yeah. And I think that really like shows obviously his cowardice. Cowardice is obviously a big theme in this movie, but. One of my favourite shots in this whole film comes I think I here. know which one it is. The reveal where... Is it the bomb that goes off? Uh, I don't think it's the bomb. I think it's like a flare, maybe. A flare, yeah. He yeah. lights the flare when he's about to run off. Yeah. And you see that they're actually surrounded by a heap of dead bodies. Yeah, that was fantastic. Oh, that was that was beautifully done. Because you couldn't see done. it before. Because because of this whole black and white yeah, thing. it's black and, and white. It's at it night. Yeah. You see hardly anything. Yeah, I forgot about that shot. When that came up, I was like, wow, that was great. That was just just that shocking reveal there. Just shows just shows you how war is. Like yeah. just just piles of dead bodies out in the out yeah. in the no man's land. And like they know that. Yeah. That's not a surprise to them. Yeah. They're crawling through them. Yeah, who knows what they were crawling through yeah. when, in that dark exactly. Shot. Yeah. But I love that after this fantastic reveal, we get this other great reveal a minute later where so the cowardly leader has thrown the grenade, which I don't understand why you throw a grenade there. Because he's 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 impulsive. He's drunk. He's a coward. Yeah, but all you're doing is like alerting. If the enemy didn't already know, you're alerting them that you're out there. Anyway, regardless, he throws this grenade, and the other bloke goes forward to try and find his friend, and you see that he's died from this grenade. <laughs> like that's just honestly, that's a great scene. Like the way that from start to finish. I really, really like this scene, and uh, it was almost going to be my favourite scene. I actually struggled with my favourite scene throughout this movie. I, I did contemplate this one for a bit. Uh, at this point, it was my favourite scene, but I had a couple more that came up along the way, and I finally settled on one later on. Yeah. 
I actually don't think it'll be your favourite scene, to be honest. I'm just I'm just suspecting that it's not gonna. We'll find out, but I just have this feeling. I know you pretty well, and I just don't think it's gonna be the same as mine this week. Okay. Yep. I really love the back and forth here between the two soldiers when they get back. And this whole movie is about you see the effects of power and this chain of command, because obviously the lieutenant is in the wrong, but he uses his status to convince Corporal Paris to keep his mouth shut. Yes, he does. And it's so... Like, he does now, and obviously it comes out later, but you sort of wonder how it would have been taken had the truth come out there. I mean, I just feel like if you're a higher-ranking... You just can do what you want over the, yeah, and he, the lower he people. He just flat out tells him that. He says... Yeah. It's my word against yours, you know. And whose word do you think they're going to believe? Or, l- let me put it another way. Whose word do you think they're going to accept? And then Dax shows up and he, he basically breaks it up. He doesn't know they're actually fighting, but he, see, he sends him on his way. And he can tell. He knows yeah. what's going on. He, he sees that empty like, Yeah, exactly. Bottle, they the make a bottle. point of making sure the audience knows that Dax has seen the empty liquor bottle and leaves demanding a report straight away. Yeah. I mean, what's the point? You know it's going to be lies anyway. Exactly. I just want to quickly talk to you. I don't actually have much um, written down or prepared to say. I just did want to bring up this scene where we get the shot of these two soldiers talking about the fear of being hurt versus the fear of dying. So they're saying that they're saying that people aren't afraid to get shot with a a gun, right? Because it's so quick yeah, and it's they instant. die. Whereas, Most of the time. Whereas if you get get stabbed with a was a bayonet, yeah, bayonet, then it's it's slow, it hurts, and that's what people are afraid of. And he said if people were scared of dying, then everyone would walk around afraid all the time because everyone knows they're going to die. Hmm. I just found this. I found it out of place to be honest. Because we aren't set up with these characters at all. We don't know who these people are. And it's not brought up again. We're not... It didn't resonate with the rest of the film for Do you me. think this is just Kubrick putting in his own little scene here it just felt, to give his views and opinions? It just felt so out of place. I feel like... Maybe you're right. I feel like maybe he had this great idea like, gee, I don't... You know, this great idea about how he feels society behaves and people, you know, their characters behave, but... I just feel like he's put it in for his own benefit and do you it, think it it's has got, felt Do you off. think it has uh, big tie-ins to the, the three soldiers that are up for death and how that's going to be a quick and instant death, but they're still they're fearing death. They're, they're scared of dying. Even though they know it's going to be a gunshot that they've just been talking about is quick and instant, they're still afraid. They're still scared. Okay, because I was going to say, well, obviously they are scared, but you're saying that is sort of... Um you know, contrasting to this point. Is yeah. that what you mean? It's like, in the end, it doesn't matter. Death is death, and you will be scared regardless if it's a gun or a, or a knife. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. Because I think maybe what they're talking about is that they're out in... Like, they're talking about when they're out in the field killing other people. They're not really... They're not thinking about, oh, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. They're, ta- they're just trying to kill other people, whereas yep. these three, they know they're dying. They know yeah. they're going to get killed. Yep. And it, and it's like a long... It's like a slow process, like yeah. a couple of days of mulling that over. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Like, it's... I do enjoy that sort of... I do enjoy philosophy and, you know, the look at the human sort of psyche. But I just... it For me, when this scene took place, I did... Uh, it felt out of place for me. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. One scene I love is the basically the next one after this is Colonel Dax walking through the trenches this time. And you have all these men along the sides of the trenches as the huge explosions are going off. Much... A, a bit of a contrast to when Moreau was going through. All It looks like all these men here... They, they respect Dax. They're yeah. all there, you know, basically they're ready to salute him. You get the good POV shot of him walking down the trenches with all his men. Most of them he knows are just about to die. Mm. And I love how the shot shows him gradually walking into the dust and the cloudiness as he goes along. Mm. Like he's walking into the unknown ahead of him. Yeah. 
And then the, I thought I thought this was going to be my favorite scene of the film, but it's not. That walkthrough. No, this next scene, the, the big long shot of running through the no man's land trying to get to the anthill. Yeah. Is it yours? Is that what you think is mine? Oh, I don't know. You've got to be grinning on your face. No, tell me. Do you think this is mine? Uh, don't play games with me, man. I think it's not. It is not. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's not. I mean, I mean, it's a great war scene. Yeah. There's nothing There's nothing bad with it. I, big, I really... big, great long tracking shots, like perfectly timed explosions. It's It looks gritty. It feels raw. It, it is a great scene. Yeah, and I actually read that. There's, they use 600 German, because the film's actually filmed in Germany, despite um, taking place in France yep. to avoid, um, you know, certain labour laws and taxes and all that sort of stuff. But apparently, these extras, these policemen, actually took a lot of convincing from Kubrick to actually get them to act fearful on the battlefield. So, <laughs> they kept trying to act heroic due to their years of military training. Yeah, well, these guys aren't actors. They, they're not prepared to do this. So they just yeah, go exactly on by what right. they believe. Yeah, but obviously the mission is a massive failure. I do feel like the action is quite superb here, though. I love how we fo- follow Colonel Dax through. And he runs and he's leading the way. He's got his whistle. People are dying all around him. Explosions left and right. But honestly, he is unflinching. Like, you talk about act- getting these guys to act fearful. I really don't think Kirk Douglas was told the same thing. Because he is... He he's is, heroic. He's yeah, leading the charge. He, he is heroic. They are advancing. We see this crazy scene where Moreau is demanding his own people fire. Oh, because the second, the second fleet are, are, are unwilling to go out yeah. onto the, onto the uh, no man's land. Yeah. Is it is it the second fleet that's controlled by that drunk lieutenant? I'm pretty sure it is. Oh, okay. I think he, he told them, you, like, not to. Not to go? Yeah. It's either they, he told them not to, or they all just refused in the end. Well, you see, you see, eventually Dax goes with them and says, "All right, now's the time. Come on, let's go." He can't get up the ladder. Yeah, no one's no one's listening to him. Well, he, he's. It's not that no one's listening. Like he's like, "All right, now's the time. Let's go." He climbs up, cannot get over the ladder. Like they're no. just getting bombarded with explosions, and he knows if I if I go out, I'm dead. Like it's not it's not heroic to just walk to death. You talk about. Moreau trying to order explosions on the on the man on his men. I love how he's watching comfortably from afar. Yeah, and some more nice shots here. We when the camera is on the battle itself, like the noise is just excruciatingly loud and deafening. Like you said, there's explosions, Dax's whistle, guns are going off. It's really really loud. But then Kubrick makes the decision to cut to Moreau, and it's silent. It's basically silent. The, the loud noises have stopped. It's like it's it's really showing he's in a safe and mm. completely isolated protected. from the battle, and protected. Yeah, exactly. Like it, he is with his 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 rank. Like yeah. that's that's sort of the whole you know theme that threads through this movie. Like these people are protected who are ordering people to die underneath them. Yeah, exactly. But we really we really see how brutal he is when he says, "Those little sweethearts won't face German bullets; they'll face French ones." Yeah, this general is fastly becoming an over-the-top villainous douchebag. Yeah. Oh, he's full-on villain at this yeah. stage. Like he has, he just Did has I just no say villainous. Villain. Yeah. Is that a female villainess? You didn't say villainess. You said villainous. I said villainous. You said villainous, not villainess. So it's the inflections that make the difference. No, you don't say n. You do say N in both. <laughs> Villain, villainous? Villainous. Villainous. You don't say villainous. 
Villainous. Villainous. Villainous. It's the same thing. No, no. Because no. it's villainous. It's oh wow. Okay, let's. We're getting way off topic again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I love how he's on the phone. And he's telling the guy, "You do it now, or you'll be caught." Marshall's like, "Mate, I'm not doing it." Like a written consent that mm. he needs. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, "What if? You, what if you go and die, and then I'm left with this?" It's not just that. <laughs> I don't even. I don't even think his biggest fear is that this guy is going to die. I think his biggest fear is this will come out, and the journal will say, "I didn't do it. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, you know, Moreau. Did, I Moreau did not tell you to do it. Why did you do that? Yeah. And what what like does he have to stand on in that point? So we end up with this conversation back at the castle, I guess, wherever the castle the, is. It a castle where they're at their vantage point. I think it's a house. I think it's more than a house. Cottage, maybe. A cottage is less than a house. How dare you! <laughs> A home is a home. <laughs> no, we have this conversation between Moreau and... Brulard. Brulard and Dax. And you can see that Moreau is like, he's outraged that these cowardly soldiers didn't get his promotion for him. That's really what he's talking about here. <laughs> like, he vows to make an example by court-martialing and executing he calls them sc- He calls them scum. He, he decides to try and get a hundred of them shot. Yeah. And, you know, in the end... Thankfully, we've got our hero of the movie, Brulard. Says, nah, only three. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and you got Dax there just bewildered. Like, what is God. going on here? <laughs> but you can see it from Brulard here. Obviously, he is a fantastic, you know, man at uh, political maneuvering. Like, he knows that, okay, you got one guy here who wants to kill 100, one guy wants to kill none. We need to be seen to do something. We'll go three. We'll go one from each division. Yeah, small amount, but it will still get the job done. Yeah, it gets a message across without, you know, something crazy happening. What do you think of the way they picked? The, uh, the three soldiers. Because they're all three different ways they do it. You have one who's just picked at random. Yep. Like a, I don't know what they said, but it had to be something like a yeah. shorter straw kind yes. of thing. Yep. And then you get the other one who gets chosen because he's sort of seen as some sort of social outcast, yeah. which is the, 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 <laughs> the guy we saw. deemed as yeah. socially unre- undesirable. And of course, you get the quick conversation with Dax and that drunk lieutenant. He's like, you get to choose. He's like, well, oh, gee, I wonder who he's going to be picking. Yeah, and the one guy who knows I... Yep. Was a coward and killed a soldier, and and of course you see Corporal Paris up next when they're all. They didn't really. They didn't show any of the arrests or anything. They just quickly showed him in the. Where are they? They're in like some sort of. They're in a cell, aren't yeah, they? Is it a cell? Look like a um a pig pen or something. There's lots of straw on the ground. Before we get to the courtroom here, I just want to touch on Timothy Carey quickly, who played the social undesirable, as he's so called. Um, apparently, he was so disruptive during filming that he faked a kidnapping. For publicity? Yeah. Did you know this? Yeah, I heard all this weird shit about him. That He ended up getting fired yeah, early. Yeah, Kubrick fired him. Like, that's insane. But what's even crazier is that Kubrick, who, from everything I hear, is just a huge perfectionist yeah. who does not, you know, stand for fools, he hired him again for his film The Shining because Timothy Carey actually plays the bartender in that film. Does he? Yes. I didn't know that. Really? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I'll be sure to look out for him when we go to the I mean, do you think that's strange? If you had if you had an employee who was so bad and so strange that you had to fire them, isn't it weird that you'd hire them again? Well, I think that with Kubrick, especially for The Shining, where it's a kind of you want people to start going crazy in that to have this guy who he thinks might start ruffling a little bit of feathers and getting people a little bit on the on the edge, maybe that'd work play well in um in The Shining. Whereas maybe. here, I feel like Kubrick though is someone who wants ultimate control. And that's if a good you've point. Got someone, that is a very good point. If you've got someone on set who's doing their own thing, yeah. Like, I, no, I, I can just, see that. I can't see that flying. So, yeah, I thought that was very strange. <laughs> All right, this court scene. Okay, here we go. This is obviously your favourite scene. No. <laughs> you are wrong, <laughs> sir. 
again, this was the point I'm like, well, this could be it too. <laughs> uh, but no, nah, I, I had to move on. But it is kind of brutal and disgusting how these three get treated. They don't get a say in anything that's happening here. They throw this court scene in so quickly. They don't give them a chance to prepare. They they just want to get this done out of the way. It's all, The higher-ups here have all the power. They control everything. They know what's going to happen. This yeah. is just fluffing, you know, smoke and mirrors. Exactly right. Like, the man presiding over the whole trial, the main guy, he's referred to as Mr. President. <laughs> Jeez. Now, is he the actual president? Maybe he's the president of the military or some shit. President of the military? I don't know. I reckon he could legitimately be the president of France. Could be. Like, the court-martial, that's a big deal, isn't it? It's a very big deal. Okay, I reckon it could be. But this Mr. President, he seems to want this trial to hurry up and finish. He won't allow, as you've said, any information or argument from the colonel to help the three on trial. He's already decided. Yeah. These guys are dying. Yeah. (laughs) There is no way in hell, no matter what Dax says, these guys are going to live. Yeah. I do love Dax when he gets up and he says that first line... Gentlemen of the court, there are times when I'm ashamed to be a member of the human race, and this is one such occasion. And if you like, if you're going along with Dax here, you feel exactly the same way. Like this is horrible. Yeah, I actually thought this courtroom. Um, I feel like this end speech from him, his closing argument, where he does say the um, ashamed to be a human. I think it's okay. I actually really like the content that we got. I just felt like it was too short. I thought when it ended, I was like, oh. Is, is that the end? Like, what did you think about, actually, speaking of short, what did you think about the, the runtime of the film being less than 90 minutes? Do you think they could have extended this out? I mean, obviously they could have, but I feel like anything they put in would be filler. It is tight. Yeah. It's a tight wolf. Normally, every scene is is there for a reason. Yeah, they follow on from each other. They build into the next one really well. And I think if we made it longer, like, why? Movies don't need to be long. I also think it, it ties into the theme of how quickly and abrupt this whole execution is happening let's get it done get it out of the way we just push through it and that ties into the movie as well this movie let's get it done this is the story it's going to happen done yeah that's a good point so as i said i felt like this speech is just too short like the movie no nah, the movie's not too short i'm gonna start that again <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fine <laughs> so as we were saying i feel like this speech is uh, a little too short but i did love the way it was filmed here so kubrick makes sure that the first half of this speech we get this really wide shot we can make out we can make his face out but we can't really see much expression but as the speech gets gets better we get this close-up of him and i just think that douglas he's a powerful actor here he's got a booming voice i feel they just should have used it more here well i think most of this core scene if not all this scene kubrick does every little shot and every little angle meticulously long here and we talk about him being a perfectionist he exhibits strict control over this camera during this court martial scene i don't think it stops moving for like any any shot when each witness is being questioned kubrick uses like this this high angle shot off to to one side like they're in this uncomfortable position in the frame he puts the camera at the point of view of the judge when the prosecutor is questioning the witness you can see the back of their head when the prosecutor speaks, when Dax questions them and makes his closing arguments, Kubrick positions the camera from behind the accused. Like, you know which side they're on. The camera goes back and forth as the two lawyers are speaking and walking back and forth. The room they're holding, it's that room, it's massive. It's clearly not a courtroom. Yeah. No, it's large, it's elaborate. And depending on where Kubrick puts the camera towards the back of the room, the whole court martial seems like small and tiny. You're saying that with those, with those wide shots. Yeah, it looks yeah. insignificant. The large room as well, it also changes the sound as well. Sometimes you hear echoes that can, like, 
amplify what they're saying if, if Kubrick's in too close and others other shots seem to diminish what they're saying when it's further away and it is a brilliant scene it's really shot very well but obviously there's no happy end there was never going to be one you could tell this is just a this is nothing it's going to happen yeah yeah and they're trying to push through it what do you think of the way that the audience finds out officially that the three men have been found guilty do you remember this because we don't actually get a no, big, they're don't. found guilty from the judge no, or anything get, like that. I'm pretty sure you get the next scene where they're talking about how they're going to kill them. Yeah, the next scene is this this quick scene with the firing squad. Yeah. And the guy's just saying, yep, three were found guilty and let's talk about our firing squad and what we're going to do. I, f- I thought it was a very anticlimactic way, of, way to find out, but not in a negative way. It's, I felt like this felt right with the with the story. Like, this isn't a big deal. No, it's not. Like, life is not a big deal in this film. I do actually like that scene that, 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 that you were just talking about with the military guys telling them how they're going to do the shooting. Yeah. Especially the, the general who's telling them what to do. He's explaining the regulations and pointing out that he's been made personally responsible for anything that happens involving these prisoners, but that he will ensure that if there's any mistakes, he will pass on any punishment with interest to the men under his command. And I think this is an interesting scene as it's showing, again, the clear theme of this film, like the hierarchy of power and how the shit goes downhill mentality where everyone just blames the person below them. So it's not just this little throwaway scene. It actually has a meaning. Yeah, I agree. I didn't call it a little I didn't throwaway say you did. scene. I didn't say you did, Dean. Don't get so defensive. I'm not defensive. Oh, just calm down. <laughs> We're at the scene here with the prisoners having their final meal. I did think it was quite funny, that line. See that cockroach? Tomorrow morning we'll be dead and it'll be alive. It'll have more contact with my wife and child than I will. I'll be nothing. It'll be alive. Now you've got the edge on him. And it's good to have that little bit of humour in there. Like, you need to see... It's not all super sad. you got to have to see the light side. Was that humour? Yeah, of course that was humour. That's uh, funny. Uh, no, you didn't laugh? Uh, I, didn't, I didn't laugh. Or were you tuning out? <laughs> no, I'm tuning out. How dare you? <laughs> no, I, uh, <laughs> no, I didn't think it was very funny. Did you actually know... Obviously, Stanley Kubrick, perfectionist himself, took 68 takes to film this scene. Yeah, I did see that. And it's just the crazy thing for me is that of all the scenes to take 68 takes of, because they were actually filming the last meal, they had to prepare a new hot roast duck every single time. Yeah, that's crazy. Like the effort. And that's just that's what I love about Kubrick. He does not care about how much effort something is going to take. Whatever it takes to get it exactly the way he wants it yeah. is how it's going to be done. And you can imagine him as a young and up-and-coming director at this point. People are like, why am I bothering with this guy? I know, and that's the thing. Like Getting the- into like his later work, everyone's like, yeah, do what you want. Go for it, mate. Yeah, and that's, that's what I mean. Like Once he's a massive and respected and highly revered director, people, A, know what to expect, and B, this guy's a you know visionary genius. I'll do whatever he says. But as a young up-and-coming 29-year-old, have the balls mm. and the strength of, of self to stand up to everyone and say, no, we are doing it my way and we're going to keep doing it until we get what I want. Yeah. Like, I just think that's so impressive from a young man, honestly. Yeah, good on him. Just quickly, the three, they're sitting alone and this priest comes in. One of them gets so angry at religion and God and like, how is your God going to help me? Yeah, he's going to pray to the bottle of wine or something. Like <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, he's really trying to roll up this priest. Yeah, obviously the priest is having none of it. He doesn't he punches care. him in the face. Yeah, calm down, mate. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Oh, Paris. how how does he get? How does the guy who punches get knocked unconscious? Corporal Paris punches him, and he flies back into the wall and hits his head on the on the bricks or the stones. Oh, so Corporal Paris punches because he's coming. At, he's coming at the punches, random bloke. 
So he doesn't punch the priest, he punches one of the other guys. No, no. The random bloke who gets the head concussion, he punches the priest. Paris steps in and goes, back off, mate. And he comes at him and he clocks him one and he goes back and smashes his head on the, on the wall. Yeah, and when he, get, when he does fall unconscious, I, you talk about not laughing at the cockroach joke. I did laugh when they yelled to get a doctor. <laughs> so what's it? I was like, oh my god, this guy is about to be killed. He's he's fallen and hurt himself. Please, we need a doctor now. But what's even why w- even worse is when the doctor comes in and he's like, he's probably not going to last the night. And he's like, well, you make sure he does, and even like make sure he's still alive because when when we get him up on the the shooting fo- yeah. firing squad, they want him to be on, they want him to be conscious. So pinch his cheek so he wakes up for yeah. it. Oh, that is so. Brutal! It's yeah. oh, it's horrible. Well, I mean, it'd be a bit embarrassing doing a firing squad. One of them's already dead. <laughs> well, they just—they really want this example set. They yeah, don't care what exactly. state that's, he's in. That's what it's all about. They don't care who it is. Yeah. They just want three bodies oh, that they can so shoot. Harsh. It's crazy. So after we have this little conversation between Dax and the lieutenant, and about how he's going to take over the firing squad, because Dax knows that he he had something to do with that death of that uh, soldier in the tra- in the no man's land. Yeah, he does. And I do like the little, uh, you know, request denied. Yeah, because he, he knows he picked him for a reason. He's like, oh, it was just random. He's like, no, yeah. it's not. You know, he knows something. Yeah, it should be yeah. you getting fired Yeah, on. And then just before he walks out, I don't know exactly what the guy's name is, but the guy was on the other side of the phone to Moreau about, yeah. um, yep. you know, just like killing his men. He comes in, he's like, i got something to tell you. So you know what's coming here. Dax ends up at the at some sort of um, benefit or gathering of all the big high generals to talk to Brulard. Brulard. And I think this is where you get Brulard's ultimate big turn as just as bad as Moreau. He's just like, he doesn't care. He's, he knows this is going to happen regardless. He's like, I'll set an example of Moreau after all this is done. He's yeah. like, you don't need to do this now. Like, he's the one responsible. Yeah, exactly. But he doesn't care. And he ends up saying to him, Well, you see, Colonel, troops are like children. Just as a child wants his father to be firm, troops crave discipline. I see and one way to maintain discipline is to shoot a man now and then. Yeah. And oh. then Dax looks at him and goes, Do you sincerely believe all the things you've just said? It's like, he is done with this. He's so, it's, this guy is horrible. And he, he, he's starting to realize, Dax is starting to realize that this whole military is corrupt and they don't care about their men. And he's like the only, only one of the good people around. Mm. But again, this whole scene with them just talking about this is fantastic. And, it's, you know, I think the acting is superb. Both of them playing off each other. Solid convo. Not my favorite scene. Give me a look like I was going to say it. But it's no, not. No. I, I actually think at this point we've probably got the best, the, the same favourite scene. Do we? I don't know. There's not many scenes left, no, Hendo. that's right. <laughs> well, let's get into the next one where it's the morning of the, the execution and all the, and the general comes down with all these men. I think it's actually, I don't know if it was at this point or the point before, but the socially awkward guy, he, he's already broken down. I think he broke down in the scene before, actually. Yeah. Yeah, where he's like, this is like, I'm, I'm done, this is over. And you've got Corporal Paris who's, he's still stoic. He's he's accepted his fate and he's yep. fine with it. But then when the general comes in and he just snaps and he breaks down, he falls to the ground, he's begging them, don't mm. do it, don't yep. do it. Yep. You know, you see even like the toughest men when faced with, with, faced with certain death, they are scared, they are petrified. Mm. And this whole conversation with Corporal Paris begging this general and the general telling him, be a man, you know, stand up for yourself, this back and forth here is my... Excellent! I honestly don't even remember the scene you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's what I told you. I said, we're not going to have the same scene. So this is before the firing squad. This is before the, this is the scene before the firing squad where they're bringing them out 
And the- Are they still in the pig pen thing? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I thought this was fantastic. Just to see this guy who we've we've seen over. The, he's the only one we actually know out of these three people. Yep. He's been very uh, military. He's been this whole. He's, he's been, very, been military. He's has been he? very. He's been very military about this whole thing. He, he he's accepted his fate. He yep. knows what's happening. There's nothing he can do about it. He's telling the other two along the way, man up. Like, there's, we're not going to get out of this. Stop trying. Stop having all these false hopes that something's going to happen. This yep. is it. And you think, okay, this guy, he's. He's a man. He's a military man. But then when a push comes to shove, and it's the and it's right before it's about to happen, he snaps and he breaks down and he he just bursts into tears. It just occurred to me, funny thing, I I haven't had one sexual thought since the court martial. <laughs> it's pretty extraordinary. <laughs> and then you get the higher ups again telling him, "Put yourself together, act like a man." There'll be a lot of dignitaries, newspaper men out there. You've got a wife and family. How do you want to be remembered? Many of us will be joining you before this war's over. This is the last decision you'll have a chance to make on Earth. You can pull yourself together, act like a man, or we'll have to drag you out of here. In the end, it'll all be the same. It's up to you. And you just know that if roles were reversed, they would be exactly the same. Exactly. Yeah, okay, well, I like that. I like that that's your your favourite scene, one that I don't remember. Um, I think it it shows guts. It shows balls that you're willing to... What? Wait for the punchline. No, no, no. I'll leave it. No, it's good. It's a good, you know, that's the beauty of cinema, Hendo. We can all have different favourites. When we got to this whole firing squad shooting scene, I actually was thinking, because it was your first time, did you think that they were going to get out of this? Did you think this was... Oh, still, nah. nah. You didn't think there was going to be like a... Nah, Dax nah, comes nah, in I, on a I, horse I, and nah. saves the day? What's a horse? <laughs> I don't know. No, I did not think that this was the sort of movie, and Kubrick's not the sort of director, who would have this heroic... You know, oh, they're saved at the last minute. Anything they've got to come go, stop this. I've got a, a confession here nah, from Moreau. Nah, nah, I did not. Ex- nah. Because honestly, I I don't care. Not, sorry. Wow, that, how dare you? <laughs> no, sorry, I misspoke. It's not that I don't care. It's that I know that the French higher-ups in the military, they don't care. Yeah. Like everything we've seen so far, they could have Moreau come out and say, I'm sorry, I've just realised the error of my ways. It was me all along. I'm the bad guy. They wouldn't care. No, because they to would them, still shoot these three people. To them, Moreau is a patsy as well. Yeah. Um, but my fav- honestly, my favourite bit of the firing squad scene was when the cowardly leader from the first mission, he goes up to each of them and on the last one, he does apologise yeah. to him. I, honestly, I like that because it's not... Again, it's a complicated and three-dimensional character. It's not, okay, this guy's a coward and the audience, we don't like him. So, he would go up and he would be, you know, proud or whatever or be scared or something. This is a guy who, yeah, he's not brave, but is he a terrible human? Like, is it, like he's doing what he can to survive in the war and he gets to this point and he knows that he's caused this, you know, and he, he's genuinely sorry. And I did really appreciate that it wasn't just this... You know, this is a good guy. This is a bad guy and there's no grey area. There is grey area everywhere here and I think that this guy really does sum it up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, we have this... the uh, Well, we have the the aftermath of the shooting. Yeah. Spoiler alert, they all die. <coughs> We're back in the... Uh, are, we still, are we still doing crickets? We haven't done a... I haven't heard any crickets for a while, actually. Because yeah, our jokes have all been so top-notch. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hearing oh, a lot. You should have not laughed to that and then just had crickets. <laughs> now we have the aftermath here back in the uh, the cottage, as Dean likes to call it, where they're all discussing uh, what has happened, and Moreau just goes full asshole with this. Oh, Colonel Dax, your men died very well. It's like, what? 
what kind of thing is that to say to someone who's yeah. just had three of his troops die? And he's like, yeah. they, they died very well. Yeah, no. Nah. Shit! I, I did enjoy this scene. I mean, it starts out and you've got these three reasonably high-ranking um, military men sitting around having... Are they having a feed? I think so. Or at least I know, I'm pretty sure Brulard will be having a feed because he just... Whatever. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. doesn't care. But they're all just sitting nicely and they're talking about getting together another time. And yeah, there's so much undertone in this scene. There's so much that, that isn't being said. There's so much tension like... Colonel Dax knows everything. All three of them know they everything. All know, yeah. They all know everything, but they have to stay in their lines of what they're allowed to say. Yeah. And I just think the the beauty of when Moreau gets realizes that oh he's going to be hung out to dry, and he gets up and he he breaks character, and he's like oh you know he screams and walks out the door. I thought oh that's great. Yeah. And then Dax and Brulard oh, they this, get into this conversation. it, and we see we see Douglas finally get full-on angry here, yeah. lose his shit at Brillard, tell him what he really thinks of him. Because and Brillard thinks that Dax was doing all this for a promotion. Yeah, exactly. And I think Brillard's calmness and confidence here, it's its scary. Yeah. He controls everything. And he's hes basically untouchable. Like, we don't see anyone above Brillard. No. He's honestly this godlike figure over this military. And saying the... The political genius and swaying between these three characters, I really enjoyed it, which is why it's my... Excellent! Yep, that's... I, like, I don't fault you for that. I think this is a fantastic yeah, scene. It, it is well. a great scene. I mean, this this conversation, this back and forth they have, it's, it's stunning. And especially that line that Dax says to Brulard. I apologize for not being entirely honest with you. I apologize for not revealing my true feelings. I apologize, sir, for not telling you sooner that you're a degenerate, sadistic old man. And you can go to hell before I apologize to you now or ever again. That's what I mean. Like, this guy's fantastic. And seeing him lose it there, it it finally, like, yes, break free. Tell him how it really is. Tell him what you think of him because you've got to, in this military, you've got to do what your role is and you cannot overstep your bounds here and for him to finally snap out of it after 80 whatever minutes yep. oh it's it's like as an as a viewer as, as the audience i'm just like yes yeah come on <laughs> get excited be the hero we all want you to be <laughs> but yeah i i agree with you it is a, it is a great scene it wasn't my favorite but it's still a fantastic scene. Nah, that, that scene that you mentioned. Yep, 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 all right. That was, what are you going to quit now? No, it was good. Um, <laughs> the one that you don't remember. Which one was it again? Dickhead. <laughs> but we're at our final scene of the film now, and that's all the men in the bar. What do you think of this scene for a finale? Um, well, really? You got nothing to say? I mean... Why don't I start you off with a little did you know? Did you know that the woman in the bar turned out to be Stanley Kubrick's wife in the end? In Not, the end? No, they got married after this. <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> you mean you're my wife? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I did see that. I think, you know, it's funny because you see that they met here and he divorced his second wife the following year. Yeah. So he'd uh, been twice divorced by 30. Unlucky. But it's great to see that um, he did marry her and they did stay together until his untimely, untimely it probably was timely, until his death uh, in 1999. So, yeah, good for them, I say. Yeah, but what, you, do you don't you not have anything to say about I, any of this? 
I think it. I think it plays very well after what we've just seen. Yeah, like, and that's yeah, that's that's the way I appreciate this scene. Like I just said that finally he's broken free, and it's not like this whole singing thing and how it's affected the men. Honestly, that didn't really have any impact on me. It's not so much about what is what the impact it's having on us. It's the impact on Dax because he's gone through this whole thing and he's just he's just realised that all his his generals and his higher ups are just they're dis- they're disgusting and they're immoral and everything they're doing to everyone below is just deplorable. And yet he comes to this bar and he sees all of his men, all of his troops f- f- hurling at this innocent woman and he's he's standing outside, he's cringing in disgust. He, he's, he's basically seeming to reflect on his general delusionment with not only the generals, but for like the entire human race. He's starting to think, is there any decent morality at this point now these people are just treating her like garbage and then she starts singing and they all stop the cat calls and the whistles they gradually die down they cry yeah they're captivated by they hum they're they're captivated by what's the only decent innocent thing they've come in contact with for so very long Mm. and they all begin to hum and some of them even begin to cry and you can see his like his faith in common humanity is restored from just this single scene yeah and it ends on a a decent note. It, oh, see, I would, I would debate that. So we get the guy coming up saying, uh, "We've got orders. We need to return to the front immediately." And Dax says, "Oh, give them a couple more minutes, which is fine." But then, back to business. More, yeah, of war. course, yeah. You know, so. But there is that at the end of the of day. Humanity. At the end of the day, yes, he's broken free, but really, he hasn't. Right, all he's done is yell at someone who could not care less. And at the end of the day, he's got to go back to war. But he, nothing has changed. His faith in humanity has been restored by his men doing this, and then he realizes, yes, okay, we got to go back to it. But at least he's he's got some restoration in humanity. Mm. He's not going back out there just deflated, and you know who knows what might happen in the end if he's like that. He's like, what's the point in doing all this? Yeah, he sees that and he's like, right, this is something worth fighting for, my men. Mm. And that's how it ends, and that'll do it. That will do it. Any last words? All right, Dean, what's your final thoughts on Paths of Glory? Paths of Glory. It is a very interesting film um, that looks at the inner politics of a military where most films will give face to the enemy as the opposition in war. Paths of Glory, smartly, never does. The enemy instead are the people within their own military, their own team. And this is something I can't recall happening in other movies to this level. Definitely no other films when this film was made. It is a truly bold film that has a clear message it wants its audience to take away. It looks at middle management and the problems that this system presents. Kubrick, at only 29, makes an ambitious movie here and his attention to detail is on show throughout. We get three great performances from the three main characters, each conveying their characters' unique motivations with finesse. The couple of battle scenes shown are extremely tense and realistic. The problem I have with this film is difficult for me to say. I guess at the end of the day, whilst Paths of Glory is gutsy and original, I didn't have a good time watching it. Despite being such a short film, it's not an easy watch, and I was honestly glad when it was over. It's it's depressing and helpless tone, whilst accurate for the tale being told, just didn't do it for me. What are your final thoughts, Endo? Before I get to mine... Do you think you, this would benefit you to watch it again, like seeing it for a second time? Do you think your opinion would change? <laughs> I actually think my opinion has changed talking to you right now. Really? Yeah. So, I've actually written because down- Because of my excellent persuasion. No, no, no. It's not you, you dickhead. <laughs> so, the thing is, the thing is, so, 
we don't we don't really talk about ratings and stars on here. No. But I've written at the end of my final notes for me for reference three stars. Okay. And in after this talking with you and sort of really getting into the analysis of these characters' motivations and the world they're living in, I actually think that's unfair. And I'm going to bump that up to a three point five stars. Boom. Very kind of you, Dean. No, with what you say though, like honestly, I do think that. This is an intelligent film and it does, I think it does pay, it would pay to go back and watch it because honestly, just from talking to you, it's made me enjoy it more. And I think that's actually just to go with movies in general. Like you you watch it for a first time and you get your, your, your opinion straight away. This is your first take. But then you can go and discuss it with your friends and get their opinion of it and talk and talk about all the different themes and etc. like that. And then maybe you might go listen to a podcast, say like the IMDb Journey, who they give off fantastic advice. I know I will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like there is a difference between just watching it and getting your own opinion straight away and going and d- discussing it, going watching it again, going watching it again. Yeah, going watching it. Yeah, okay. Good English, Daniel. Anyway, my final thoughts. For me, this is a very enjoyable film. Like, Stanley Kubrick gives a nicely packaged war film that has a lot to say in a short amount of time, and even in his early work here, you can see the signs of brilliance in Kubrick through the hypocrisy of the men in charge, the heroism of the leading man, the authenticity of the everyday soldiers, and most importantly, his camera movements. Kubrick shows us exactly what is wrong with the way war is waged. He finds a way to draw all his story threads tight without compromising his harsh and unforgiving theme. The plot is resolved, yes, but cruelty and duplicity survive, and private soldiers are still meaningless pawns. This can easily be called an anti-war film, but I feel this is more of a look at the general state of hierarchy and power, which not only equates to the military, but also in your general workforces and governments. As well as a look at hierarchy and power, it's also a good case study on humanity and the overall value of human life. The performances throughout the film are very strong. Kirk Douglas captures the idealism and bravery of Colonel Dax perfectly, George McCready was the other standout as Moreau. He embodied that character perfect for me. Even still, this is by no means Kubrick's best film. He's still mastering his craft here, and it shines brightly in his later films. I'm not sure if it should actually be on this top 250 list, and if so, certainly not this high up. But this is still a really good film, with a lot to chew on after the fact, and a lot to be impressed by on the screen as well. I was the best because the crowd loved me. So, Dean, where does this sit for you in your rankings? In my rankings. You're getting a bit big now. Thank you. Okay, so for me, what do we got? So we've got City Lights at number 12, Vertigo at 11. For me, it's better than Vertigo. For me, it's also better than Wild Tales. Um, Next up for me at number nine is The Prestige. That's where it's going to stop. So I'll put it at the new number 10 in between The Prestige and Wild Tales. Okay, fair enough. Where would you put it? Okay. So, for me, it's better than A Beautiful Mind. It's better than Wild Tales. It's better than Singing in the Rain. It's better than Ben-Hur. And we get to the point where it's uh, it's either this or the other black and white film, City Lights. And I just feel like, just with our conversation as well today, there's just a lot more to go on with this film. This is better than City Lights. And then we get to this versus Vertigo and... I'm at a stance here that Vertigo is better yeah, than Hazard Glory. That's fair enough. So I also have this at number 10 on my list. Good to hear. We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Oh. So we got two reviews here. We got one from Chris again on Letterboxd. He's, Chris, you've been with us since the, the day dot. I remember when we put up our first 
little tease that we're going to be doing Die Hard, and you slapped the review up there, and you've been with us ever since. So yeah, we thank love you very your much, loyalty. Chris. Thank you so much, mate. This was one of the two Kubrick films I hadn't seen yet. The other one being, what do you think it is? Lolita. No, Barry Lyndon. And I'm not surprised to find out that it was fantastic. Mm. Equal parts war film, courtroom drama, and horror film. Kirk Douglas shines, but is backed up by a great supporting cast. My only complaint is that there are some very questionable sound effects, but other than that, it is a great film. I'm kicking myself for taking this long to get around to watching it, but it was well worth the wait. Thank you very much for that, Chris. And of course... Take it away, Dean. Paths of Glory is a World War II film that follows a three-act structure revolving around some injustices that take place on and off the battlefield. Kubrick's direction leads this film right to the point in every scene and little screen time is wasted, telling a tale that could have been drawn out further. The characters are interesting and likeable, and it is pleasant listening to each of their philosophies on military and the war. They are well-defined and aptly portrayed. Kirk Douglas was very good. While there isn't much to fault about the film, I can't understand why it seems to be universally hailed as one of the greatest films of all time. I guess you'd expect it to be more powerful, more emotional resonance. Still, it is thought-provoking and intelligent, and probably ahead of its time. Thanks for that, Shane. Thank you very much, Shane. Again, everyone, if you want to get your reviews in for our feature movie or any other movies we watch throughout the week, you can send us a tweet at imdbjourney, you can send us an email at imdbjourney at gmail.com, or if you really want to, you can follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash imdbjourney and post something there for us. We also have another question here this week, again from the Movie with the Misses podcast. They've said, we watched Lady Bird and we're highly disappointed. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't say that. I said that. <laughs> Besides some decent performances and a few funny moments, it just failed to connect. So it's time to give us your most overrated film. Okay, Dean, what's your most overrated film? Films that are highly regarded that you don't see what the big deal is. Yeah, no, fair point. And as a rule, we uh, chose not to pick any in the IMDb top yes, 50 course, list. Yes, of course. Because uh, yeah. we didn't want to, you know, spoil any thoughts. But we do down. have a lot of films in there yes. that we think are a bit overrated. You'll uh, hear them along the way. One in particular we both jumped to, but no, 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 <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, okay, so my most overrated movie, which is massively rated by so many people. Including me? Including you. A movie that... A lot of people don't know about. Usually, it's only like diehard film um, watchers and critics. I think I know what it is. Can I say it? Yep. Is it Synecdoche, New York? Fucking oath it is. Oh, I know you too well. This is a movie that I watched. Philip Seymour Hoffman is a fantastic actor. I watched it. I wanted to love it. It's a Kaufman movie. It's a Kaufman film. I love Kaufman movies. And uh, there are a few films... That I watch that make me feel physically ill. And this was one of them. I got a headache watching this scene. I just felt yuck in my stomach watching this movie. It is so up its own ass, it's not funny. (laughs) It, like, Kaufman, obviously, all this talk of this genius that he is has gotten to his head. And he has written and made this bizarre, look how great I am movie that just was a nightmare. It is so... So depressing, and I don't mind a depressing film, right? I like if a movie can make me feel something, whether it's joy or fear or or depression. I like that a film can have that power over me, and this movie was just awful, awful. So, yeah, for me, it actually wasn't too hard for me to come up with this. Synecdoche, New York, and what kind of a fucking word is synecdoche anyway, is a garbage Synec- movie. Synecdoche... 
I believe, is an actual town in New York. Okay. Is it still a word? Yes, of course it's a word. Okay. So, my question, what kind of a word is synecdoche, is valid. It's you a sort town. of said, oh, well, it's it's a town. I'm like, that doesn't make it okay. Someone came up with this stupid word that no one knows how to pronounce. Anyway, regardless, terrible film. Wish I'd never seen it. What about you, Mr. Henderson? What is your most overrated movie? All right, so I went back and had a look at highly regarded films that I didn't like, and only one really stood out to me. And I don't know actually what you think of this film, but for me, I see I'm not I'm not a big horror person. I I don't see the appeal to them. I know a lot of people get their kicks out of them and they and they enjoy you know getting scared or frightened or whatever it is, but they don't do it for me. And I quite I found. A lot of them quite boring, and especially this one, which is so highly regarded, and that is The Exorcist. I think it's so boring. It's so dull. It's not scary at all. And I think maybe that's because of the times we live in now. Like, my mum hates this film, but in the in the way that she gets the shit scared out of her when she sees it, she thinks it's the most scariest film she's ever seen. But she saw it back in, you know, the, the 80s. So maybe, yeah, you probably would get scared because that's something new and refreshing at the time, the way this was set up. But I watch it now, and I'm like, yawn, like... This is boring. All that shit in the desert. Ooh. Is there shit in the desert? Yeah, there's a whole... It's a long movie and there's so... Like, the stuff at the house isn't bad, but there's so much other stuff setting up the, you know, the prophecies or okay. whatever it is. Yeah, it's very boring. Man, I was, it I was, I thought this I was, was disappointed in that movie. I think it's a bloody snooze fest and, yeah, highly, highly overrated. So, thank you very much for that, TJ and Serenity, for that question. I'm curious to see what your question is going to be next week. <laughs> Actually, we should bring this up now. We're actually going to be taking uh, next week off. It's my wife's 30th birthday and all of us are heading up to the greatest city in the world, which is Melbourne, as Dean hates to hear. And we're going to have a good time up there. We're just going to skip a week and we'll recover, recoup, and we'll get back into it the week after. That being said, we don't want to leave you all high and dry. So we are going to be recording a bonus episode that you guys can get your luscious ears onto. And we're going to be doing a movie draft because we've seen everyone likes our movie drafts. And we decided we're going to do a mega draft. We're going to go 10 films each. And we're going to be drafting the movies that we think should be in the top 250. So if you guys have any suggestions of your movies that you think should be in the top 250, don't hesitate to send us a tweet and let us know. Well, this is obviously going to be more of a personal draft for us, which should create a bit more of a uh, diverse list, I guess. I don't think there are going to be many crossovers. No, hopefully not. We also have another question here from John off our PM on Facebook. It's a question to Dean. says, let me get the score straight. Out of the 14 films you've done so far, who is the LVP at this point in time? Midge, Lena Lamont, or Esther? <laughs> who's Esther? Is that Ben-Hur? I knew you were going to say. Is it Ben-Hur? Yes, I knew you were going to say, who's Esther? Fuck. Who is it? Is it classic Midge? No. Lena? Classic Midge has some comedy to her. Yeah. Okay. Lena. Singing in the rain. Squeaky voice. Oh, Lena's pretty bad. Nah, it's got to be Esther. She's she's terrible. She brings that what is otherwise a classic movie right down. <laughs> nah, okay, fair Good enough. Question. I figured you were going to say Esther. I figured you, the first thing you say was, who is Esther? <laughs> and you did it. So let's get into last week's movie draft where we drafted movies with the best female villains. Okay, dial in for movie podcast. Misery loves company. Great choices, Dean. Surprise, no one has Umbridge or Mama Fratelli. Who the fuck is Mama Fratelli? <laughs> I, I don't know. You don't, what? You don't know? Mama Fratelli? Yeah, you'll have to let us know, Dial M for Movie Podcast. <laughs> From the Contrarians, 
Hashtag Team Dean. I'm not in love with The Wizard of Oz, so that's strike one on Daniel's list. Ah. I don't have a connection with the witch. Now, wait until they adapt Wicked into a movie, then we'll be talking. Also, Catwoman is only half a villain and Lucy Liu is just a mini-boss. I reckon that's probably the best summing up of Hendo's list. How dare you? Catwoman is only half a villain. She is heroic. And Lucy Liu, that's a cop-out. You just wanted to put Kill Bill on your list. Nah. Uh, I don't mm. regret any decision. <laughs> We got one here from Dregs of Craig. Said, as much as I love Kathy Bates in Misery, I've got to give it to Daniel. The Wicked Witch is such an iconic villain and Ursula is one of the best Disney villains ever. Yeah, so thanks for your input and your comments there, everyone. But in a 54-vote finale, 52% to Team Daniel. <sighs> well done, well done. Oh, breath of you fresh air You have to there. win one eventually, I guess. I know, but it is kind of a sour note because just we thought we'd bring it up here. Dean and I, we we watch the TV show Survivor, okay? We're, we're heavy into Survivor. We make bets on it every season, and the latest season just wrapped up, and Dean won all the bets, of course, so <laughs> as much as it, I'm very happy that I get to give you a movie, he actually gets to give me three movies that I have to watch in two weeks, so it's bittersweet, but hopefully I can not make it four, because we've got a... Pub quiz, asshole. All right, Dean, why don't you go first, mate? Okay, Kate McKinnon plays a nuclear engineer in this 2016 remake of a Bill Murray movie. Do you want me to reword that? No, it's Ghostbusters. Correct. Was that such a shock? I wouldn't have got that. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. I forgot about that movie. All right, Dean. Tim Burton directed Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of what? Fleet Street. Very good. I saw it at cinemas. Yeah? Didn't realise it was a musical. Uh, what 2002 Disney movie taught us that the Hawaiian word Ohana means family? 2002 Hawaii Disney. I keep thinking, I keep thinking Moana. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Uh, okay, think, think, think. Hawaiian Disney. Lilo and Stitch. Yeah, I would have. Yes! Oh, I actually haven't looked. I'm just, I would oh. have said that too. Let me have a look. Lilo and Stitch. Oh, yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> Alright, Dean, Cadillac Man, Bicentennial Man, and Man of the Year all starred this man. Robin Williams. Correct. To all. In a secret 2011 ceremony, Rachel Weiss married which star of Spectre? Daniel Craig. Yes. Dean, Ernest Borgnine starred in this 1955 Best Picture Oscar winner based on a TV drama. Nah, I got no idea. I think Doc Brown said it right. Marty! What is it? Marty. 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 Yeah, never have gotten that. Alright, I'm up! You're I'm up! up. <laughs> Alright, these... This is what it feels like. <laughs> Don't take it away from me. Which blue movie creatures are called Pichufus in Spain and Shrimps in France? <laughs> blue creatures. Yep. I mean, I, th- I initially think of the, the Navi, but aren't they just Navi? What other blue creatures are there? The weird opera singer from Fifth Element? (laughs) 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 Uh, Oh, um, Smurfs. Wow, what a get. Yes. Yeah. Oh, holy shit. I just didn't think that Navi was like, I thought Navi was just Navi. Oh, wow. That second French word is actually pretty close to Smurfs. Chitrumphs. Sure. I mean, it's closer than Navi. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Dean. This 1996 Nathan Lane film is based on the 1978 farce La Cage au Fall. No idea. The Birdcage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Didn't matter anyway, because you're going to get this. Oh, okay. In the Hotel Transylvania series, Dracula is voiced by which grown-up star? 
Adam Sandler. Correct. Ooh. And for you, Dean. Not that it matters. Ad said, this 2016 film was an unforgettable journey she probably won't remember. Gee, rough week. Very rough. Try and save some face here. The Alice in Wonderland sequel? No, it's Finding Dory. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. All right. (laughs) You're back, baby. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's still uh, still a bit depressing that I won both and you still get to give me more movies (laughs) than I do. All right, but since yours were first this week, what are my three movies I'm watching for the next two weeks I've got? Okay, I'm going to give you three movies here that I haven't seen. Cool. Okay, the first one, Valhalla Rising. What the hell is that? It stars Mads, Mik- Mads Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen, yeah. All right, I already love it. There you go. All right, don't say no more. Okay, I won't. Number two, Take Shelter. Is that Mads Mikkelsen? No, it's not. <laughs> Take Shelter. I, I bet you if I saw the posters or something, I'd, I know what these are, but I don't know what that is. Starring Michael Shannon. No. Okay. Number three, The Fall. Oh, okay, yeah, that's that's a film I've been I've seen like uh, um on the internet, and I was like, okay, I'll get to that eventually. Yeah, so I could get to it in the next two weeks. But okay, cool. Yep. Okay, so since I haven't had a chance to give you any movies for the last month and a half or something, I've actually racked up a pretty decent list of films that I've seen over a little while. And oh yeah, this would be good for Dean. And I had a list of ones if I just got to pick one, and I had a list for if I got to pick two. So for my two films, I'm giving you, I'm going with a director double. And that is Mr. Taika Waititi, and I'm giving you Boy and What We Do in the Shadows. Two films I haven't seen that I'm very interested to see, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, on them. Boy, What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. I'll, I'll, I will happily watch them. All right. So, let's get into this week's DVD challenge. Let the games begin. Challenge accepted. We will be drafting the best films of the 1950s. All right. I'm going this first this week. It is tough. There's a lot to choose there's from no, here. There's no standout. All right, so... Yeah, this is this is, this is a tough one. I think I'm going to go for my number one pick, 12 Angry Men. Yeah, fair enough. Guess if you want to go that way. Uh, for me, I will take Some Like It Hot and Vertigo. Okay, now, I've, I've got to get a Hitchcock film in there. You've gone Vertigo. What combats with Vertigo? I think if I'm going to go with a Hitchcock, I'm going to take Rear Window. Rear Window? I <laughs> know. <laughs> rear Window. And let's go with Seven Samurai. Okay, good picks there. I'm also going to take another Hitchcock movie. I'm going to go- two Hitchcocks, are you? Yeah, I am. Normally, you just pick the same thing over and over again. But yeah, there's not week- a lot of Disney in the 50s. <laughs> Unlucky for you. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to pick North by Northwest okay. and Singing in the Rain. See in the rain, hey? Alright, so I got two left here. Okay, and we've got a little we've got the the single we've got the single shot courtroom drama, we've got the Hitchcock classic, Akira Kurosawa classic. I'm gonna go with a Western here and I'm gonna go with the searches. Let's finish it off with somewhat of a war film. I'm gonna go the bridge over the river Kauai. 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 Uh very good. I'm gonna round mine out with Rebel Without a Cause. Okie dokie. Okay, so that's our movie draft. So we'll put that up at some point uh, after we upload this episode and get out there and vote for whoever you want. I'm not going to be biased here. <laughs> All right. Just, just pick who you want. Yes, that will do the job. <laughs> so, what's next? All right, it's time to find out what movie we'll be watching, not next week, but the week after. Dean, why don't you hit that button and we'll find out what we're doing. Here we go. 1 to 250, 114. 114 is 
the Akira Kurosawa classic, Yojimbo. Yojimbo? Yep. Another movie I haven't seen. You're knocking them out now, aren't you? There you go. Akira Kurosawa. Finally, we got another big hit director. Yep, that's good. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're, we're smashing out the classic directors. Yep, it's going to be great. All right, that closes up this part of the podcast. We'll be back after this break and a promo from the Coming Off the Reels podcast. But that's going to do it for Pause of Glory. To find these men guilty will be a crime to haunt each of you to the day you die. Therefore, I humbly beg you, show mercy to these men. Hi, this is Drew Martin. And I'm Roy King. And we're part of a weekly movie podcast called Coming Off the Reels, where we discuss everything from the newest releases to our childhood favorites. We'll also break down specific years, directors, actors, and genres. We may not always stay on topic, we rarely do, but we always circle back to our love of movies. You can learn more about us on our website, comingoffthereels.com. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and anywhere else your podcasts like to hide. And follow us on Twitter, at Off The Reels, for weekly battle polls, movie haikus, and a whole lot more. So if you're looking for a new movie podcast, and I know you are, give us a try. Okay, now we get into the second part of the podcast where we talk about movies we've watched during the week in a spoiler-free sense. So, if you haven't seen the movies, don't worry, we're not going to spoil them. No spoilers from here on in. Okay, Dean, how many films did you watch in this extra-long break that we had? You'd think you'd know how many you've seen. I've I've just had to take out Paths of Glory from the list. Six. Six films, okay, that's cool. How many have you seen? I saw seven. Okay. Okay, so I guess I'll start off. I've got... Uh, of these seven films, five of them were recommendable. So, that's a pretty good hit rate for the week and a half, I guess. Of my six, five of them are recommendable. Well, solid, solid. <laughs> All right, so my number seven film for the week is Death Wish. That's not the Charles Bronson film. It's the, the Eli Roth, Bruce, Bruce Willis. Willis classic. Yeah, this uh, this is terrible. <laughs> Surely you must have known that going into it, though. I did. Yeah, okay. One, thing, one good thing I can say about it is Bruce Willis is actually pretty good in it. Really? Yeah, for like all the shit that he churns out these days. Yeah. He's actually not too bad in it. He actually shows some like acting range in this. That being said, the rest of it's terrible. It's it's such an icky film to have in this day and age now with all these the, the gun violence and all the shootings and that, that are happening. This film is very like it's it's heavily centered to going out and getting your own guns and like he he watches do it yourself clips on how to clean your gun and how to take it apart and mm. how to destroy certain things and Okay. And you know, obviously, it's it's Death Wish. He goes out and kills all these people that are doing wrong things, and it's Eli Roth. So you know it's going to be over the top gore and that. Like there's scenes where like a car lands on someone, like lands on someone's head, and like his head explodes and brains go everywhere. And I'm like, <sighs> really? Like some guy falls off the second floor and he lands on his head, and he like instant caves his head in and breaks his his full neck. I'm like, yeah, eh, okay, this is terrible. It's yeah, it's a, a very bad film, and you should just skip it. Fair enough. All right, uh, do you want to just talk about Solo now? Yeah, let's do it. You're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? You look good. 
little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together a crew. I'm a driver. And I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? Don Dean, what do you think? All right. I was not overly excited to see this movie. There is a special nervous energy I normally get when seeing a Star Wars movie for the first time at the cinemas, and it wasn't there for this one. The trailers were average at best, and no one was really hyping this up. So now that I've seen it, I can honestly say I was right not to be excited. There is something just so bland about this movie. Bland in a Star Wars movie. It's just insane. The colour palette is so full of greys and browns. It's not a pleasure to watch. Even when they're in the snow, bright white snow, they somehow manage to make it feel dark. It's just so generic. We follow Han Solo around from place to place, meeting new people, losing some others. We know he's going to be okay. We know he's going to end up with the Millennium Falcon. We know every new character is expendable. Just on the new characters, they're boring. I did not care about any of them. We're obviously meant to care about this great relationship between Solo and Khaleesi, but I couldn't shake <laughs> that he's meant to be with Leia. And Amelia Clark's character here is not fleshed out nearly enough, and ultimately it made me fail to connect with her or to understand her motivations. Aldrin, whatever his last name is, is passable in the unev- unenviable... Unenviable. Unenviable? Mm-hmm. Unenviable job of recreating one of the most iconic movie characters of all time. He doesn't smash it out of the park by any means, but I really don't think anyone could. I always remembered Han as a grumpy and gruff kind of guy. There is none of that here. Maybe just because he's young and full of hope here. Who knows? There's a cameo towards the end of the film from a known Star Wars character, and whilst I enjoyed it, unfortunately all I did after it was think about all the ways this movie could have been so much better if they had just made this character a main part of the movie. Gone down that direction, maybe. Ultimately, it was a wasted opportunity to make a standalone Star Wars movie that made use of the rich characters already established. Instead, it was so focused on showing us what we already know that it missed the mark of being exciting and new. Avoid. Yep, uh, I mirror almost everything you said there. I just... The problem with this film is it's just so forgettable. Yeah. Like, no one stands out in this film. Woody Harrelson is just Woody Harrelson. And sometimes I say, Woody Harrelson is just Woody Harrelson. That's a good thing. No, Woody Harrelson is just Woody Harrelson. Yeah, he phones it in a bit here. No one, it, like you, you say with Amelia Clark and her character, the movie starts off and it, oh, and you, you're supposed to expect, oh, they're in a relationship, just deal with it. Yeah. Like, well, I've got nothing to show off that. And, and their relationship is just not fleshed out at all. I didn't care a single bit about her character. Yeah. I've heard that everyone thinks that Donald Glover was so good. I don't think I don't know nothing. I, I like I, I can't relate to the Lando character from like Billy D. Williams. That I don't. I'm not so much into Star Wars that I know every nuance that he has and that. But I don't think he was that. I don't think he was good. He's not a standout. He's he's no. barely in the film as well. Nothing stands out. No, and it really feels like that this film is just catering to like to the the big hardcore fans. They're just fan servicing all these little hints and quips and Easter eggs that yeah. you have to sit know every Star Wars thing inside and out to understand. Yep. And I'm sitting there going, what, what? Mm. What's going on? This is really boring. Mm. I I didn't like it. Fair enough. Yep. 
Yeah. I, oh, we and, and I didn't really either. And Paul Bettany as well as the oh, yeah. as the Again, throwaway I'd villain. About him, yeah, throwaway like, villain. He yeah. could have been so much better. Like his acting's okay in it, but the yeah. character is whatever. Yeah. Yeah. This whole film was yeah. really. I think you said not it well. that good. Forgettable. Yeah. Where would you put it in the the list of Star Wars films now? The nine, nine, ten, ten films. It's last. It's my least favourite. Is it? Yeah. Is it yours? No. I oh, well, I have to rewatch. My, my previous last was um episode two. Yeah, I me think too. Is probably the weakest. But I think of episode two now. There's so like that's like yeah, it's not a good movie, but there's fun to it. There's all the lightsaber battles. Count Dooku's pretty cool in it. I would have to rewatch that, I just, which I do not plan on doing. Yeah, but. No, episode two is my worst, and then it's Phantom Menace, and I would act, I would happily watch Phantom Menace oh, over this Phantom again. Menace Phantom Menace, is all right. is, there is fun yeah. in it. Yeah, I don't yeah. mind Phantom Menace. Yeah, so this would be my second last, or last, if I was to watch Attack of the Clones again and then make my decision then. But yeah. for now, it's nine. Okay, Dean, what's your number five film for this week? I think we're going to be getting a lot of Marvel in the next five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or all. All. <laughs> okay. All Marvel. All right. Um, Brace yourselves. My number five is Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, I've been on a bit of an up and down ride with this one. When I first saw it, I actually did really like it. And then the more I thought about it, the less I thought of it. And I never went back and rewatched it, but I, until now, and I actually, it holds up. Like, it's a really good movie. Okay. Ultron's really good. Like, James Spader's voice, it's, it's quality. Um, the interactions between all these you know, superheroes, all these Avengers. It's all good. There's really... I mean, it's a little generic at the end with this spoiler-free discussion, so I'll stop right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, no, nah, honestly, I, I had I had a lot of fun with it, and that's the thing with these Marvel films. Like, yes, it's ranked fifth. I still give this four stars, Age of Ultron. Four stars, yeah. eh? Yeah, I do. It's For me, the Avengers films are really, like... There's no, like... You know, it's broken up really in halves for me. There's the ones that are, are bad that I don't like, but there's not many of them. And the rest I really like. So, okay. yeah, I liked Age of Ultron. Yeah, I thought, when I watched it, I thought it was very, it's middle of the road. Like, it's a pass. Like, it's a recommend. Mm. But, yeah, it's like, it's fine. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. It probably is middle of the road, but yeah. it's four stars. Okay. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. My number five film for the week is The Sound of Music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a while ago. How'd you go on that one? Yeah, I think it was fine. Like, it's so goddamn long, though. (laughs) This one, I felt the runtime on this film. Yeah. And I am so burnt out from musicals now, I'm telling you. There's so much singing in this movie. It's like, here's a musical song. Talk, talk, talk. Bang! Musical. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, it's... But it was fine. It was fun. Like, I watched it with kids, and they were loving it. Did they sit through it? Oh, we, we we chopped it up. Like, they had we had to go and have dinner, and then we sat back down. But, yeah, I think it was fine. Julie Andrews is really good in it. Mm. Yeah, I'm never going to watch it again. <laughs> but no, it, was, it was fine. I think the last time I watched it, it was probably 10. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's fine. Like, I think, I think some of these old classic films from the 50s and 60s, they don't hold up as well these days. Uh, people might think this is a, you know, absolutely, you know, A-grade movie, but I think it's, it's, just, it's just fine. Fair enough. Dean, what's your number four? My number four is Ant-Man. Nice. I like Ant-Man. Yeah, I really like Ant-Man too. That's not out yet. Oh. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's different. I love that, like, it strips back. Like, I've been watching a lot of, um, you know, sequels at this point and team-ups and everything. This is just back to basics. You have a new person. This is their origin story. 
Paul Rudd is very, very good here. Michael Douglas is great. Evangeline Lilly is okay, I guess. But um, the the plot it's it's not it's not huge, you know. It's this small it's this small plot. It's not saving the world. It's about trying to help out this one guy with his family situation and all this sort of stuff. And I really felt like it it hit the nail on the head. And the comedy in this movie is so on point. Like it's generally very very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, yeah, I had a blast with it. No, I agree with that. All right, my number four for this week is Lean on Pete. Now, Lean on Pete is a 2018 film that's just come out recently, and it's about a teenager who gets a summer job working for a horse trainer who befriends a fading racehorse called Lean on Pete. And that's just the very basics of the story there, but it's a very well-acted film. If you're going to get the standout here, it's the acting. And it's, mm-hmm. it's the, the big standout is actually Charlie Plummer, who plays the main lead, Charlie who goes on this journey with this horse and it's the horse is kind of like the the symbol of the film but he Charlie as the main character goes through a lot of shit in this film like a lot of struggles and turmoils throughout the film I don't want to I'm not going to go into what he goes through but it's a lot and the the obstacles he has to overcome is really genuinely f- like fantastic I guess you could say mm. Steve Buscemi's in this he's really good yeah Steve Buscemi's in it yeah okay but you didn't know that no I did not um, there's also a couple other people you might know along the way. Chloe Savini is in it. Uh, Steve Zahn is in it. And they all, they're all quite good for supporting actors in, in this film. And I just think that overall, because Charlie Plummer is in this for, it's got to be like 90 to 95% of this film. Maybe he, he, could, he could actually be in every single scene, every single shot. Mm-hmm. But he holds this film and he does really well. well. You have to. Yeah. Nah, he's fantastic. He's a new up-and-comer. He's the Timothy Chalamet of... 2018, Charmelet. maybe. Did I say Charmelet? God damn, we did that last time, didn't we? <laughs> Got his name wrong. No, but I think it is a it is a fine film. It does drag at certain points, but I think overall it is a very enjoyable film and one you should check out. Fair enough. We'll see if you ever give it to me. <laughs> no, you'll just end up watching it yourself. When you get to your 2018 movie dump in December, you'll <laughs> come across dump. this. Fair enough. Um, okay, my number... What are we up to? Four? Three? Three. My number three is Guardians of the Galaxy... Obviously, Volume 1. Well, yeah, but it's not called Volume 1, is it? Well, just Guardians of the Galaxy, then. Yeah, that's why I didn't say Volume 1. But you were going to say Volume 1 before oh, I cut you off. You didn't cut me off. I'd stop speaking. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> um, obviously incredibly original, incredibly funny. Chris Pratt is perfect here as Star-Lord. The supporting cast just gel together so well. And to grab these five new characters and just put them together and... To get the audience to be aware of them, of who each character is, out of nowhere. Like, no one knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were before this movie came out. And it's just a testament to how great the Marvel Studios is at making us fall in love with these heroes again and again and again. I really, really enjoyed it. And I loved all the Thanos references here. And he's in a few scenes, which is fantastic. Again, the second tier villain. I don't even remember his Ronan name. Ronan the Accuser. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, Ronan the Accuser. I actually remember him a lot more than a lot of other people do for some reason. Yeah, he's he's, he's literally nothing. But, you know, he's someone, he's a foil for the Guardians, so there's got to be something there. They're obviously not going to kill Thanos in the first Guardians movie. Nevertheless, despite another forgettable Marvel villain, it is a, uh, yeah, I mean, I've said fun a lot. I'm going to keep saying it. It's yeah. a lot of fun watching it is. this movie. It's funny. So. It's enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. It, it is can't very fault, good. Can't it's, fault the list. It's so original. Like, this whole space thing, like, they hadn't done that before, and, yeah, they do it very, very well. Yeah, nice. Okay, my number three film is 
Thoroughbreds. And this is another 2018 film about two upper-class teenage girls who live in suburban Connecticut who rekindle their unlikely friendship after years of growing apart. And together they hatch a plan to solve both of their problems no matter what the cost. Now, that's very vague. I won't get in. Unless you've seen, if you've seen the trailer, you know what their, their problem is. But again, this is another movie that's very centered on the acting. And the two leads are Anna Taylor-Joy, who uh, is the lead in Split. Of course. And Olivia Cook, who is the female lead in Ready Player One. And me, Earl and the Dying Girl. Love that movie. Yeah. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet. I'm actually shocked that you haven't given it to me yet. I just feel like it's an emotional movie, and with you being so dead inside, you wouldn't appreciate it. <laughs> Sorry, that's all my emotion coming out at how funny oh, that was. God. <laughs> this also has Anton Yelchin in it in his final performance uh, for his untimely demise. Yeah, but this is, this is very held together by these two leads and their acting and their chemistry back and forth. I think it's, it's, it's an interesting way that the director has gone with the theme of this film, how... I think tonally it's a, it shifts back and forth a bit and sometimes it's to its detriment and sometimes it actually works. But I think ultimately it's it's enjoyable but in a dark way. Like it's you don't get pleasure out of this film, I guess. I think it's interesting how we see the characteristics of both of these main leads change over the course of the movie. And I actually think the ending is really, really good as well. Like I think that's probably the standout of the film is actually the ending for me personally. Yep. So without giving too much away, <laughs> I think it's a I think it's an enjoyable film. That one you should check out. All right. I'm going to go with my number two film, which is your number one Marvel film, uh, Civil War, Captain America. Thank you, doke. Yeah. Civil War is a fantastic movie. Uh, the Captain America trilogy really, really is quality. Um, but the intro to Spider-Man is easily the standout here. Uh, Tom Holland as Peter Parker just shines and his little quips in that ridiculously good airport scene are just crazy. The... The character of Bucky still, I'm a bit on the fence about where he stands in the MCU, but I think other than that, I really did like everything. The villain as well was different and original, which was definitely appreciated. He's not some forgettable, um, you know, monster villain like we've had in the past. So there's that, which is great. Tony Stark and Captain America, the obvious, you know, central part of the Civil War. They feed off each other so well, and you can just really believe every argument, every fight they're having is... Yeah, because you've, you've, you've seen these characters yeah. over all these films. Like, this is built yeah. up. This isn't something that's just come from nowhere. They do put the pieces, you know, start forming them in previous films to lead up to this moment, and it pays off, like, very, very well here. Yeah, I completely agree there. All right, my number two film for the week is Mary Poppins. Uh, I still cannot believe you've never seen Mary Poppins. Well, I have now, so you can shut up. <laughs> what do you think? Well, obviously, I really enjoyed. It. I think it's it's a it's a great film. Yeah, yeah. No. I, I, I had a lot of fun with it. Like Dick Van Dyke is so clumsy, and yeah. like he's he's yeah. I I got a little bit of um Donald O'Connor from Singing in the Rain. That's a sort of goofy, wacky kind of character. Mm. Like the the singing and the dancing with the how good is yeah his the multiple instrument setup. thing. Yeah, that yeah. was really good. The, the kids are fine. I guess they got a bit grating after a while. But I think what's good about this film is that some of these characters, they get a lot of growth and a good arc, like especially the father. I think he, he has a good journey along this way here. I think that the the animation like styles, while you know probably revolutionary at the time in sort of 
Who Framed Roger Rabbit style. Oh, yeah, where, jumping into the yeah. the chalk pitches and I, stuff. I'm not going to I'm not gonna take away from it because, you know, it is made, you know, what, 50-odd years ago. I'll give it a pass for its time, but there were definitely parts where I was looking at it where, like, some of the animation was cut in half because there was someone sitting in the way or something like that. I was <laughs> noticing it, but I'm like, whatever. Uh, you know, I'll deal with that. Yeah. But in those scenes, I thought it's very colourful. It's vibrant. It's it's a good time. The, the, the chimney sweeper dance on the top was great. I think that the... The low point of the film was probably the laughing part, the laughing where they're floating mid-scene, where they're having tea on the, the roof. Yeah, I don't even remember, remember that. that no. Okay, I think that was probably the low point, but that wasn't too bad. Did you like the songs? Oh, yeah. Some of the songs I knew already, so yeah, yeah they were fine. They're good fun. Yeah. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious is obviously a standout. Spoonful of sugar. Most of them, I actually, when I was singing it, I was starting to sing the words from the Sherry Bob and Simpson episode. I'm like... Oh, yeah, I got to remember this song because of that. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a really fun film. Uh, the kids loved it. Uh, it probably will be on a repeat soon on the TV because my you know, my kids, like, they get a, they get they watch one film and mm. they, they repeat that several times before they get burnt out on it. So I'll probably see it a couple more times in Fair the next you know, month or so. All right, Dean. Uh, yeah, obviously, it's Captain America Winter Soldier. This film, it wasn't... Before I watched it on the rewatch, it wasn't my number one um, MCU film. It definitely is now. This film is fantastic. This is an old school spy movie that's contained. The fight scenes are so realistic and contained. You see stuff you've never seen before. That that Nick Fury in the street scene. Yes. My God, that's good. That like whole the, thing. The whole movie is so tense. Even like the setup with introducing Falcon at the start. It's all very smooth and... It's a fair shift from the other movies that have come before it. Like, even watching uh, the first Avenger into that and how much it just quickly changed. Even from this, from the Avengers. Yep. Like, just seeing that shift, yeah, it, it's like it's matured into its own thing now. Yeah, they really got it right here yeah. in a massive, massive way. And, yeah, like, some... I'll be honest, some of these movies I put on at 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, I'll last just half an hour... And I'll fall asleep. Now you got to pay attention. To this it'll one. take me three nights to watch a movie. Sometimes <laughs> I if, know that feeling. Yeah, and this one, honestly, I just I could not I could not take my eyes off it. Like I was glued. I was so invested and interested in it all. Yeah, I I absolutely loved it. I'm surprised I didn't like. I really liked it. I just I'm surprised I wasn't bang five stars from the get go. So um yeah, now that's my number one film. What about you? Do you know what my number one film is? No, you don't. My number one film for the week is Deadpool 2. I saw this at the very start of last week. Uh, okay. Yeah, nice. Okay, yeah. What'd you think? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think it's... Uh, if you, you want to compare it to the first one, I know Which you... Which I do. Yeah. Um, I think it's almost on par. Like, okay. I think it's very even. If I was to give the edge, I would actually say that number two was better for me. Okay. I think they both have... They're both contrasted to each other. Like, I think Deadpool, the first one, I think is actually funnier. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Where I think the second one actually expands on the character of Deadpool and like he becomes a bit more serious, there's a bit more weight to him. I think it's paced a bit better. Like I think with the first Deadpool, it was really all over the place in terms of its flashbacks and how the ending was a bit choppy. I feel like this film, like it it was it was smooth, I think, the whole way through. I think Josh Brolin is just man, that guy this guy's having He's a good so year. Good. He's having a good year. Cable, he's having a good life. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's God. done well. He's so good. Um, you said Julian Dennison was um, annoying for you. Yeah, I think he was fine. He didn't bother me in this film. 
Yep. yep. No um, surprises there. What? Because I like Humphrey the Wilder people. Yes. I think I think he's fine. That he's is not, exactly he's not, the reason he's why. He's not fantastic in the film, but he's not annoying for me. Um, without getting into any spoilers, um, like you said last time, the creation of the X-Force team, yep, I agree, was fantastic. Um, I did ask some questions last last week that I find funny now that you had to bite your tongue on, on some of the answers and I see why now. Uh, yep, yep. Yeah, I think the whole movie, it's it was pretty funny. Unconventional. Uh, yeah, still. And obviously it does take it away from the first film so it doesn't, it's not as unique like you said. Yeah. But still, I think overall this is a more, uh, more tightly wound film. Well, better paced. Not as funny, but it's still funny. Like I still had lots of chuckles in this. And I, I think it just pips it. Fair enough. And that's why it's my number one film for the week. So that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Dean, we've got a little bit of time off here. What are you going to be watching besides Boy and What We Do in the Shadows? You better be watching more films. You can you can stretch out more. No, I will. I more, will. More Marvel? Where are you going to get to in the Marvel films? Well, I'm almost done. I've got Doctor Strange ready to go. Then Guardians Volume 2. Honestly, Thor Ragnarok, I've seen so many times I'm not going to rewatch. I rewatched Black Panther... A few weeks ago. Yeah. What, so you're going to watch two more and that's it? I think two more and I'm done. Then you'll have to wait for Infinity Water to come out? I mean, yeah, obviously I'll watch that when yeah. I when it comes out again. But right, So what are you going to do? Well, I've actually, in this hiatus of not watching movies, there's been a number of uh, 2018 films that have come out that I want to see that I've decided not to watch because I want to just smash this Marvel stuff out. So, yeah, I'm going to watch them. Do you know what they are? Uh, Love, Simon. That's I will actually, be watching that's very actually, shortly. Yeah, that's actually the film that I've got number one here that I'm going to be watching. Yeah, yeah, I've got a couple of films lined up. I've got the three films that you've mentioned to me that I'm going to have to watch. Love, Simon is definitely up there. I'm going to be watching The Tale as well. I think that's that's been high on my watch list for a while. I just haven't had a chance to see it. I'm interested in seeing this film that's come out recently. It's called Revenge. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty curious as how that... It's got a lot of mixed reviews and I'm, I'm interested to see that. Uh, Unsane as well. I missed that when it came out at the cinema and I'm interested to see that. As well as uh, Cargo, the new Martin Freeman film. I think that's that looks interesting and I'm keen to see that too. So those are just five of the films that I'm interested in watching. There are a couple others that I'll hopefully get to, but I'm pretty sure I'll get to those five, as well as Yojimbo. But what's going to be our other feature film that we'll be checking out for the next podcast, Dean? Yeah, our, our other feature film will be Ocean's 8, all the right. uh, all-female remake. Let's see how, if they do a better job than uh, Ghostbusters. I have no doubt they will, since I didn't even bother to see the other Ghostbusters. Mostly because it has Melissa McCarthy, and I hate Melissa McCarthy. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll try and catch Ocean's 8 between uh, now and... No, no. We will catch Ocean's 8 between the next podcast. Yeah, so that'll be good. Cool. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, everyone. Make sure you get onto iTunes and subscribe. Give us a good rating and review. Get us up on those charts. Get into the competitions. Only 10 spots left. Get on Twitter. Get in contact with us. We love a good chat on Twitter. But other than that, we are going to see you in two weeks' time. Oh, of course, we've got another podcast coming up next week to cover the gap on our, of course. On our movie draft. We don't want to miss a movie draft. But other than that, we will talk to you in two weeks' time with Yojimbo. Yojimbo. All right. See you later, everyone. Bye. Bye.